Hi, it's Ronan here. And before this episode begins, I just want to give you a little warning. We recorded this episode on location in Eastbourne at LobsterCon 11 in one of the rooms. And therefore the sound quality is a little varied here and there. We've done our best to tidy it up. Also, there was a classic car show going on right outside the hotel. So we have removed some of the noise from there. But if you hear the odd room room in the background, you know why that is. The last thing I'm going to say before we crack on with this episode is we have got a flash competition, which is going to be running until the 9th of May 2016. It's to win a copy of Aether Captains by Todd Sanders and from Mage Company. Now, the competition is halfway through the episode, so listen out for that. You've got to answer a couple of questions. The information is on the Aether Captains kickstarter page so if you want to drag that up while you're listening it might make sense you need to get your entries into the game pit competition at gmail.com and like i say the questions are about halfway through the episode so thanks a lot and i hope you bear with us with the sound quality cheers Welcome to episode 62 of The Game Pit. We are recording live from Eastbourne at LobsterCon 11. Yes, we're in the Cumberland Hotel, looking out over the sea. It's sun as we start, it's probably going to be dark by the time we finish. We are being joined by lots of our friends from London on board who are going to come in and discuss some of the games they've been playing over the weekend and the fun we've all been having. Sean, you having fun? I'm having loads of fun running. We've played so many games, lots to tell you about, and uh, I'm sure we'll crack on with that. Okay, there can be lots of people in and out over the course of the next couple of hours. Sorry if it gets confusing. Hopefully we'll try and put names to voices and we'll be able to follow the thread as we carry on through. Sean? As always, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there for gaming podcasts of excellent quality. And we're also proud members of 2d6.org. Go there for gaming goodness in written audio and visual format. So we are joined in the honeymoon suite of the Cumberland Hotel in Eastbourne by some of our friends. We will be joined by others as the recording goes on to discuss the games we have been playing at LobsterCon 11. Sean's here. Hello. Paul Fulon's here. Hello. Lloyd's here. We really need to be in the same bed together. Yes, we do. No <laughs> clothes. Bonnie Kate's here. Hello. Michael's here. Lloyd, move your hand. And Dean's here. <laughs> Who brought the oil? <laughs> no one it's all rough so we have been playing games since Thursday evening it's now Sunday evening I'm sure everyone's got plenty of games to talk about Sean what have you been playing well apart from an epic game of rebellion which we'll be talking later with Chris Marling I've been playing some gum gum machine but we've got seeing as we've got Mr. Full on here we've just had a rather eventful game of Eldritch Horror we have it was uh, epic it was basically a disaster. <laughs> From start to finish. But there was there was like a brief moment where we thought it might all be okay, but it lasted for about probably 30 seconds of a two-hour game, I think. <laughs> that brief moment was when you got that magic sword. I killed the dragon. I got a magic sword. I killed the dragon. I was the sword of St. Jerome. We shouldn't have left it lying around. <laughs> uh, we played against Yig, and we didn't even get through. I think six of the 16 turns we made it through before we were destroyed. At one point, there was five corpses. 
around the globe waiting to be picked up. Everyone died at least twice. The poison of the snakes is brutal. It's from the Forsaken Lore expansion, the Yig. They're cultists, um, will poison you when they attack you, and there's serpents, and Sean had enough of serpents as well. Yeah, yeah. Every encounter involved me getting bit by a serpent, and then cursed, and then devoured, and then crying. There's no snakes in Ireland, so you just have no experience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think Forsaken Law was a response to people saying Eldritch Horror was too easy. So they said, fine, we're going to do an FU expansion. And uh, everything was definitely ramped up. It was was pretty tasty. Dean, anything exciting this weekend? We've been on a non-stop adventure into the world of time stories. Uh, The plan was to only play the the recent one, which is the Pharaoh-based one. Uh, so we did that on Saturday morning, a bunch of people. We managed to do that quite successfully, I think. And then we were just sitting around after lunch and we decided to play the Masking Case, which we'd never played before. So Cool. We can do a good comparison. Non-stop time stories all weekend, basically. Did you find it stressful to play? Because other people have been playing time stories over the weekend. And when they've, they've played them back-to-back on the runs, they found they haven't had the time to think through what's been happening and they kind of get caught in a rut sometimes in a cycle. How was it playing it back-to-back? Well, we didn't kill each other, but we nearly did. We came close. (laughs) Well, I think what was interestingly pointed out was in the Mercy case, because of the specific scenario, we felt a lot more stress compared to the Under the Mask scenario, which was a bit more low-key. It was much more story-based. A lot of story, a lot of puzzles, whereas the Mercy case, very stressful. We had to take a bit of a time out at one point. Wow, I find that interesting because... When we played the Marcy case, because of the theme, we were a bit more relaxed, a bit more run around, shoot some guns, have some combat. Whereas when we did Mask of Pharaoh, because it was more mystery-based, we were kind of stressing more about have we missed a clue, have we missed something. There's a good mechanism in there where you can switch your receptacles midway through and should I be in this receptacle or in that one? And we were much more stressed about that. We managed to do something quite by accident is that we managed to exactly find the correct path through the ferro one. <laughs> so basically every, every time we went to a new location. When we and got- yeah, so we, we didn't know the rules to combat correctly. We've been playing all the other scenarios wrong. Oh. Yeah. So we were stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and which made it less stressful. That happens uh, to me all the time. I, mm. I should have known. I could have done that. <laughs> <laughs> any rules knowledge. I like to think that because it was Mike, it was actually you in the future coming back to tell us. <laughs> it was older Mike. Yeah, it was older Mike coming back to tell us. You've <laughs> done it wrong. <laughs> but it's an easy rule to get wrong. I think we've done another sequence. This is the fourth one. And the rules basically if you lose a combat, then you just lose one life. Or apart from the, the shield icons, we all losing the difference between the failure oh, and the skulls. Yeah. So. I think one of the big problems with time stories is the rule book and some of yes. the ambiguities and it's yeah. not I know they've done a second edition of the rule book already just to try and clarify some things and still you'll find educators and I taught time stories and helped someone through the first part of Asylum this weekend and they said we need to help with the edge cases. Unfortunately, 30% of the game is an edge case. So you go, oh, is it this? Is it? You're never quite sure if you've played it correctly. Lloyd, hit us. I've got a couple of games I want to talk about. The first one, just very briefly, I want to touch on just because it was like opposite running. We have played some modest teams. <gasps> How could you? In private? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if, if you're not familiar with it, if you might have played seven wonders and answer taken by it, just drop your past your opinions just go and play the team game. It's by far the best way to play the game. It's already happened once this weekend, it happens at every spawn, and I know it's going to happen at least one more time, just because we're in town, found out about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on the rampage. Cool, your second game, what was the chat about? Uh, Phil and I have been playing an awful lot of X-Wing lately. We've gone down the rabbit hole on that one a little bit. We're not going to talk about it a lot if you haven't played it. 
give it a shot. It's the planned actions and combat, and Full and I are capable of making it look incredibly difficult. <laughs> very, very simple. Yeah, Lloyd's being kind. I'm, I make it look more difficult than he does. Yeah, check it out. There's more game in there. There is a lot of toy factor, obviously. You know, that's part of the appeal, but once you get past that, you realise that all of this plastic you just spent your money on, you can do quite fun things with. It works really well. I think it's a really kind of easy to learn miniatures game that has you know, interesting decisions, a bit of bluff. Far into it, did, did you realise that it was actually, there was some gaming decisions? <laughs> After I spent the first thousand pounds. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you stop going pew pew every time you go, Lloyd's got a set of Star Wars sound effects on his phone that he presses as he's doing things in the game. There was like, I should point out, mostly just to annoy people. Not really that it adds the thing, but mostly just as people are playing, you know, they're halfway through their tournament. <laughs> As part of the convention, there's a alleged quiet room being set up. And at one point yesterday afternoon, there was two games of Star Wars Rebellion team going on and a game of X-Wing with the Star Wars theme music being played in the background. So I'm not sure how well it's been used. So, for six and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> not all of us play for six and a half hours, for sure. <laughs> the culprit will be here soon. How deep in the rabbit hole are you on X-Wing? I can still see light. <laughs> Lloyd is gone. Brennan, do you want to talk about the Lord of the Rings card game? I'm about the same point. <laughs> no, no, you actually play. We're away for four days. Ronan has spent what appeared to be a day sorting cards for that game. <laughs> they were a bargain, a bargain. Myself and another fellow who came along bought, uh, I'm going to guess, several thousand game cards for the Lord of the Rings card game. We split it 50-50, but then we had to actually physically split it 50-50. The £48 each was the easy part. But it was the sorting them all out. It took a while, but very exciting. I'm happy as Larry. Bonnie Kate, what have you got to talk to us about? Well, there is a game that I really enjoy, and I don't think there's anyone who's played it who didn't find it to be an absolute treasure, and that is Flying Kiwis. Oh, awesome. Right? I mean, it's great. I like, I like. It's so good. Basically, you get to flick a bit of cardboard with rubber band at a box and that, and try to get them into other boxes. And it's brilliant. It's really good fun. It's cool. You set these discs up on ramps and it's actual hairbands. It's scrunchies yeah, that yeah, they've totally. used to, to do the catapult mechanism. And you pull them back and release them. And you can judge how far away you are and you're trying to get them into the, the gaps to create a, a square in there. And it's real time, and it literally takes two minutes to play, and it is hilarious. Is it the new crazy coconut? <laughs> yeah, it actually is very similar to that. But the, the real-time aspect, I don't know whether it adds or takes it away. I think it adds to it, because you can either, in the beginning, try to go really fast and get the first goal, or you can hold back and then try to get the secondary goal, if you're going to game it. Okay, so we're going to upset Ronan now. Um, myself, Michael, <laughs> and Dean had a game of Vasco de Gama, and Ronan... You've been putting me off this game for a long time. <laughs> I, I quite enjoyed it. There's nothing oh, wrong with that game. I have the impression that everyone from the Dice good. Tower loved that game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to rewatch that video. Yeah, we had that as we were sitting up. It was like, isn't this the one Tom Vassell burnt or threw off the roof or <laughs> stomped on or something? Yeah, it was quite fun. We, we got a little rule wrong, which kind of ruined a little bit. But well, Michael yeah. cheated. It was quite fun. Well, yeah. <laughs> I cheated, but in my defence, I did win. Tell us a bit about the game, Sean. People don't know it. It's a worker placement game, and the rule book made it a lot more confusing for, is what I'm getting from you guys than it actually needed to be. There's not that much you can do. You can buy ventures, shipping ventures, and you're, you're crewing them, and you're placing your captains on, and that's where I'd say most of the point scoring in the game is, is in, in those ships and how they sort of go out on their routes. And look, you've also got some sort of these characters that give you little bonuses in there, but it wasn't overly taxing. 
But I thought there was enough game and enough strategy in there to make it interesting. The, the fun part was the, the action order in which things happen, because when of you place course, a disc yeah. down, you take an order number, and depending on some random variance at the start of each turn, that can cost you a small amount of money or a large amount of money, which I think is what Ronan doesn't like. But if you sort of plan with that variance, you can actually kind of guess where it's going to go. And I yeah, kind of was a, a bit... There's a subtle dig in there, right? <laughs> 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 well, I, I was quite lucky. Big people tend to not like this mechanism. <laughs> there was a few times where I went, this, my turn is going to be completely ruined unless I get a minus three, and a minus three came up. So oh, right. I did that twice in the game, which was quite But it's, it's quite a tight euro, right? And you're Because all of you are trying to do very similar things. Yeah. So you're looking for little edges over each other. It's a very um, tight euro, yes, but with programmed action. So you plan out all of your actions based on the numbers you've taken, and then but then you can be one screwed. thing where they screw you over, and your whole and that's what I didn't like. You about have it. to then rejig it, try yeah. and do something else, which isn't quite so good. So when we play Elder Chora and getting screwed, you expect it in that game because you're not putting too much thought into it. You're just kind of like, yeah, I'm gonna laugh. When I'm putting thought into URO and I'm getting screwed, that's uh, great to me. I'm like, yeah, oh, you're not getting screwed that. by the game, you're getting screed by the other players, yeah, just out-thinking you or intentionally. Happens too often, <laughs> Michael, and I like to be out of thought. Oh my god, the people did stuff and I have to do something to react to it. <laughs> <laughs> I just want a serious silence. I don't like people. Let's start with this, he okay? He can't have an end-game plan. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, yeah. I don't know exactly where it's coming. So, uh, how much did you like it? Or did you like it just because I said it was awful? Or was it? There was an element of that, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, no, I, I enjoy it. I wouldn't, it's not a game I would go out and buy. And, but if someone, again, we say it all the time, if someone wanted to play I wouldn't reject it. I actually enjoyed my time. I didn't look at my watch once. Wasn't it wasn't terrible. Didn't look at your watch. No, it was, I'd say it was, it was <laughs> decent. That's a game tip, thumbs up. That's going to go up an okay year. It was maybe one round too long, I think. Because me and Sean both thought it was going to be over a round was, earlier than it was. Yeah. And okay. that would have been fine. So we'll talk about another game that went on a little bit too long. We played Portal last night. Now, lots of people know about the computer game. The board game came out with some kind of blaze of advertising, but you don't see it around very much. It's got some interesting concepts in there. You all start at one end, and that's called the new age of the area. You've got little people that are going to wander around, and if you've got the majority in a room when it gets burned up, you then get actions. So on your turn, all you do is you move one or more of your dudes, and you may take some power cards if you uh, just move one person. Then at the end of your turn, you must burn a room at the far edge, so it's the right hand edge of the board for where I was sitting there anyway. And if you have the majority of people in there, then you get to perform some actions, including getting more people back, putting out a turret which will kill everyone in a room, collecting some pieces of cake, and you're trying to win by having the most cake. The cake, however, will be placed on the new edge of the board, and all your new people are placed on the new edge of the board. So the board is constantly cycling backwards, and everyone is sliding towards this death, this incinerator, and you're trying to preserve your cake and kill other people off, because when someone's got no one left on the board, the game ends. So it's quite interesting in terms of that and the area majority. The problem you've got is, now it's a problem for us, I think, as gamers, but I think it's actually a very clever idea of people who made it for their market. There are power cards which you play, and they have quite sensible powers whereby you might be able to move some cake or move extra people. But once you play it, you flip it over, and then it has a mental flux-like change to the rules on it, and really a big change to the rules, whereby anything you've been trying to plan in this kind of spatial type planning trying to grab two people over one majority game gets thrown out the window and suddenly it's like right move this and everyone go crazy woohoo and 
And that's where it lost me. And it went on maybe 10 minutes too long. And it only went on for about 40 minutes. But so poor. Anyone played a computer game and got interested in the game? I played it very briefly. Would it be fair to sum the problem of the game up as designed and published by Cryptozoic? <laughs> 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 I bought this looks so te- terrible. It looks so boring. Uh, yeah, I, the graphics. The, 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 the theming of the graphics really fit the video game. I played the video game quite yeah. a lot, and when yeah, I saw you guys playing it, I did lead it. Let a little bit of squeal of delight. Yeah, <laughs> and the little <laughs> components, the little cakes, and the little yeah, all, yeah. Everyone's been walking past going, "Come thank you, Patara." They know once you see it on the table, they know it is Portal. It's themed really well, and that's why. They're aiming for a mass market audience, right? Because Portal is such a big game, and they've gone down the munchkin flux, sort of a you know, chaotic, not too but, thinking. But that's not good enough, is it? Because the reason Portal is this huge, it wasn't a big game when it was released, yeah. but it was incredibly intimate. It's brilliant. The video game is incredible. Portal 2, equally so, it was a new thing. That was like nothing else that ever come before. So I don't know from what you, how you described it. In fairness, the board game is a bit like that. I, I'm not sure I can think of another game that's quite like it where the board is destroying itself and you're trying to both get to the side that's destroying to activate the power off because I was trying to not die but then not having no powers and no cake and no points uh, so you're trying to get there to, to sacrifice your workers in order to get some small sort of reward at the end I, I can't think of anything of progressive board like a this. little bit like a very complicated Walk the Plank I haven't played Walk the Plank Walk the Plank is a very small little pirate game where you're trying to be the last person left on the boat right and so you are trying to push other people off the edge yeah so if you end up staying on the boat then you it's very difficult to actually get anyone to push anyone off it has a kind of same mechanic of should I stay or should I go to the edge yeah (laughs) being a big fan of Portal it doesn't sound like the game is in any way like the video game you Sounds like you're just doing a conveyor belt of death. Uh, no, there are portals in it, but they're weird. So we was it a spatial it, awareness puzzle? Like, the majority of the video game is the spatial awareness there puzzle. Is, yeah, it's, no, is that point really. where you go, haha, I've sussed it. Yes, yeah, how's how I'm going to do it to drop through here to come yeah, out If, there, like you right. say, you've got these random elements throwing you off. It, it did look like random nonsense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not quite random nonsense, but a you little bit irritating. You don't need it to be the same as video game, because the video game does that. Really well. But if you buy an IP, you want it to follow. But what the ideal surely is that it's similar enough that people people go, okay, this is Portal. I'm buying it because it's Portal, and that's that's the majority of people are going to pick it up. But then they see something in it, but actually go, oh, this is really interesting. This does something as a board game that video games can't do. I think it's quite far away from the video game, although it's got some of the thematic aspects of it. The fact that you're doing an airy majority game and you've got eight people and things. Yeah, that's a bit. Surely, surely the whole point of putting an IP on a game is so that people buying it know what to expect, and that would be that it's in some way reminiscent. Well, of that from, a, from an economic point of view, absolutely, you just want as many people to buy as possible. But from like an artistic point of view, surely you want them to, to find something new. Well, in well it, if they had a Kickstarter that put loads, loads of minis in it and then put yeah. some gameplay on it, they would have sold billions of it. Yeah, I think Kickstarter could have been a Kickstarter. Dark so, Renan, would you buy it? No. The cake is a lie. <laughs> At least 312 people said that as they walked past the table <laughs> last night. Cool. We have been joined by Adam. Hello. How are you? Very well. <laughs> Adam has been on the game before, but only in the last episode. <laughs> no, I've been on one broadcast episode of Ice Age. I was in that one as well. Oh, really? It was what that was memorable. It? Most people. To back Adam up there, he was on an episode and he was very good. Well, let's Except can see him. It's this Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome. Hello. What have going? you been playing this weekend? I've been playing a lot of stuff I already knew. The big surprise to me was Taj Mahal. 
which is by no means <laughs> a new game. game. <laughs> it's it's real Golden Age Knizia. Uh, we looked it up. It's 1999. It was published, but doesn't feel aged at all. It doesn't feel like one of those Euros where everyone expected it to just kind of amble on for six hours. Doesn't the graphic design look pretty aged? <laughs> yes, I will give you that. It looks aged. Yeah. It looks very much of its time. Kind of, well, we'll just chuck some images together. It'll be fine. They don't care. Clip art and colour. Dumb. Yeah, exactly. And very muted colours. Yeah. Don't want to get anybody too excited. Purple gets my blood pressure. It's It's a kind of a theme with lobster cons that we have one in the spring and it's after the dead time of releases. So Rebellion has pretty much the biggest release this year and time stories so we've been playing them yes. so we haven't got a lot of new releases but in the autumn one there's the Gen Con releases have come over and Essen obviously and we're playing a lot of new and it's more frantic in the autumn and in the spring I kind of feel it's more relaxed we yeah. kind of chill out play 1999 games exactly drag some stuff out of the cupboard and, yeah. and see if it was any good uh, well, that, that was my mission this Gen, uh, this um, Eastbourne this Gen Con but we will get there <laughs> I, I uh, filled my suitcase up with these games which had been sat unplayed in my house unwritten the rules and brought them along spent the half an hour reading them so just, just one suitcase Dean oh yeah game. just this time so, <laughs> so we cracked out Vasco da Gama we also cracked out Ant Decker which was very similar to what you were describing very bland very Euro Euro that was, that was okay. Go on, tell us about Intdecker. How does it play? Uh, it's basically a map exploration, getting points, building buildings type thing. It's quite a pretty game. By the end of the game's finished, you've got a lovely board with an explored map. Again, we were playing it a little bit wrong. Michael was cheating again. Um, <laughs> it's kind of your sense of theme building. Yeah. It, was, it was shenanigans, but it, it was quite funny. It was showing its age, though. <laughs> it's, it's definitely old. You can see there's some interesting ideas that people have since refined quite a lot. Stolen. It's still well-loved in Decker. So before Lloyd leaves us, he's on his way out the door. One of the games I've had, the game I've played most, apart from playing Kiwis this weekend, is World's Fair, 1893. Oh. And since the three people here who have played it with, we can chat about it. It is an area majority game in which you're attempting to collect sets of cards and then by controlling areas, turn them in for points, collect tickets for money win competitions for having the best exhibits. It's a 30 to 40 minute light Euro game that's just come out from Kickstarter. I was excited to get it tried, but these guys have tried it as well. Paul, thoughts on World's Fair? It's uh, much better than you would expect from a Kickstarter game. I mean, I played it once and you just said it was quick, but it felt relatively tight. There wasn't a lot of extraneous rules. There weren't a load of extra bits that you didn't need in the box. 40 minutes. Uh, and yeah, and it's sort of fun. Couple of decisions, but but important ones, interesting ones, and sort of rattles along quite quickly. Um, quite happy to play it again. Cool. Okay. I did like how fast it was. I think you're absolutely right about that. It feels like your turn is very quick, and it seems like it gets back to you very rapidly, which I like. And I also thought the graphics were really beautiful. It is Kickstarter, so they have to splash out the money on the graphics, but. I think if you spent more time on it and you wanted something with more theme, you've got all the little people and you've got the different buildings and the different events you could have at the fair. And I think that could draw a lot of people in who maybe don't want just to just do the placement of cubes and moving cubes about. One slight concern, I mean, and I, as I say, this might be completely unfounded if we only played it once. It did seem like there was a potential strategy to sort of rush the end of the game. You score points by claiming tickets during the game and I they also that, speed yeah. up the end of the game. I think if you went really all out for that, 
I don't know whether that would be a dominant strategy, but as I say, one play, and I don't know. It, well, you can score lots of points tickets. So there's sort of the main thing, or the main focus of the game is is to collect these cards of certain colours, maybe agriculture <laughs> cards or technology cards or manufacturing, whatever they might be, and then to control the area where they are, and then you can hand these cards in for tokens because you've matched them up, and that's what you're trying to do. Tickets get you instant points. If you collect the most tickets each of the three scoring rounds you're going to get a bonus for that now it does feel powerful because of instant scoring but you can't actually rush the end of the game because there's only so many tickets in the game so whether lots of people are taking them or one person's taking them it doesn't actually make the game that much quicker you have to go through the deck at least once and mostly twice to actually get enough tickets out to, to go through it I, it's interesting I think on the shuffle I, when I first played it I think a lot of people had this you start playing it looks extremely simple you're, you're doing very simple mechanisms and it all makes sense and then it gets the first score and you go oh okay I've been sort of spamming these out into as many as I can in the old area now I realise I've got to match the cards to the areas I've got it's not massively thinking that you're too far but it's there it's just going to pull you back something to theme they've put a lot of effort into yeah. putting a lot of information on the cards. But it still looks good. It, it doesn't. does look good. It and, like and it's it's all fluff information, really. Lloyd? You guys are being very positive. <laughs> <laughs> so we played it five and a half hours ago, we finished. I cannot remember who won. Oh. You did. Oh, See, you. That's the... I don't remember. <laughs> you beat me by one point. Get out of here. Sure. And, I think if, and I think if you ask me next week, I might not remember who played it. But having said that, it was perfectly pleasant. It was perfectly fine. I think if I've seen that with my family, I would play it. I would never ever request it. It's just it's a thing that happened. It was very Kickstarter, it's very pretty. It felt like someone's first design if it was well done. Oh, that's oh, me. I think it's the kind of Get out of here, it's much better you than You guys are too f happy. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to be fair, I said it was much better than you would expect for Kickstarter, yes. so something yeah, that you managed to mind playing again. <laughs> that's oh, I really quite like it and I will be dragging it out again. You could do it for a family or somebody who likes oh, to get yeah. maybe like timeline it's where a they want a game. little bit of Knowledge or theme or something they can relate to. Like, oh, I've, I know that's what Tara looks think, like or something like that. I think theme-wise, it has to have a theme on it, obviously, and it's a reasonable thing for interesting things that we've done before. When I sat there... Oh, he's pulling face back the Eiffel Tower. Okay, couldn't think of anything There was a model Eiffel Tower there, because Eiffel Tower was unveiled at the real world fair, the next real world fair. There was a smaller Eiffel Tower Yeah, I think she got lucky in that, don't you? really lucky. No, I don't. That was the car that I saw. There was a sign of white going to the walls talking. And George Pullman was it? Yes, that's true. I'm watching house and the hotel. Story. Oh, get, getting back to the thing, like, as it was sort of set up, I kind of looked at it and I was like, oh, they're kind of te- transport cars and you know, new trains and things. I thought, oh, that's quite interesting. Maybe I could learn. But the moment the game begins, you forget about it, it's just colours. Just colours, yeah. yeah so the theme, you have to put one on it and it's, a, it's an interesting thing to pick, but it's not really carried through into But it's like, not bloody medieval century. Oh, absolutely. So it's it gets two points no, from it's, it's, you, know, you can't knock them for choosing the theme, but it is not, a, in any yeah. sense, a thematic. Daniel with fake praise is a really, really good production. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie's joined us now on the constant cycle. What have you got excited about, Natalie? I really, really enjoyed Time Stories. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Have so, we discussed that already? No, we, we, so, well, some of the group were talking about Master Case and Master of Pharaoh, but I did mention that I taught and ran through the first one. It's going to be interesting to hear about your first experience with Time Stories. I, think I thought it was really good. I thought it was actually a genuine co-op. I thought it was very hard to get an alpha player in that particular scenario because you are picking up cards and keeping the information to yourself and then relating that to people whilst using notes. So you, you need to kind of be 
quite clear about what you're saying, very definite. It's just a lot of fun and obviously you've got the puzzle aspects, you've got a couple of dead ends, no spoilers, although that can be incredibly frustrating. <laughs> when you're like, yeah, this is it, this is it. Oh, no, that's, that's no that use whatsoever. That is funny though. It is funny. Oh, we just, I couldn't believe it. We kind of threw everything at it. We were dying. I mean, it was just, and we go we're like, yeah, this is it, this is it. Ah. Everyone who's played the first season know exactly the moment. Tell as someone that's married to a game bit host, she must be used to just end this frustration and dead end. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no she wasn't now taking Lloyd out to the balcony and dangling him off the point. <laughs> no, comments. no, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Making um, a big impact. Yeah, I haven't played the scenarios well, and those guys said they played the fourth and second scenarios, and they've enjoyed it a lot, and he's making positive so, impact. Natalie. When we first came, I mentioned at the top of the show, we played a game by Hook and Friends, which is Gum Gum Machine. Yeah. <laughs> right, just for, for some listeners, so this is a game where you are making gum gums or some Refer sweets back to your or some... Preview show, yes. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Glad someone listens. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I'd have been on the show. <laughs> and there was, there's a slight memory part to where we got to remember certain numbers where the trigger switches and then you've got to follow routes and try and get these gum gums of different colours and these score for the stacks of different colours. And yeah, it kind of happened. It filled an hour. <laughs> a bizarre little... An hour? Thing. Yeah, we were. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, won't. We, we won't go into why. We won't go into too much into why, but we were playing with them. Um, we won't go into too much into why, but we were a little bit confused by the game, and it took more than would normally take to play. I think we ended up finishing on twenty points rather than thirty points. Really? Just, just to get over with, because we were we were doing one of the key we mechanisms wrong. We were only picking one gum gum up along the track as opposed oh. to being able to pick the lot up, which well, obviously would have made it. Here's one of the things about it. So we've got promo games sent to us to try out here, and Gum Gum Machine is one of them. So they've been laid out on tables, and lots of people have been trying them, and we've been tweeting and tweeting. And thank you very much for the support we received. One of them is Gum Gum Machine. The problem with laying out Gum Gum Machine on a table, and you are not the only group to find this, three or four groups made it, is that rule book is absolutely shocking. It is. And I've mentioned it before, it is terrible. They try to do it as a story with characters where someone's getting taught how to operate the factory, and there's like a smarmy character and a helpful character in Eureka, and it's just awful. And for a game that should be 30 minutes, simple mechanisms, no one has played it right yet. Yeah, yeah, even just from setting the game up, that's that rule book's a nightmare. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, look, you it up. You know, it has a certain amount of charm, though. If the rule book could be fixed, and it's just like do this, 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 and this. This is what this means. Blah. You know, just run straight through it. I think as an introduction to gaming, it's got some really cute mechanisms and there's this maze aspect. I think it's a really cute family game for slightly younger game players. It's got the toy factor. It does, and I think it has a certain amount of charm. I think playing it at this weekend, where it doesn't kind of fit in one thing or another, it's not hitting the right yeah, audience. Yeah. You're rather playing 20-minute filler games, you know, being loud and yeah. so it's not quite silly enough in... to be a filler game, but it's not quite exactly, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. It's but it does have book. a certain amount of charm. It's the rule book, though, isn't it? Because mm. people were coming up to us and saying, "We sat down, we were prepared to play this game, and we gave up after 15 minutes of the rule book." So, yeah, I think the rule book, book is, is a massive reason why... So, is the rule book any good or not? We've gone over that yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're saying, so, we'll bring it back next Eastbourne, and we'll just do a one-page summary. Uh, two no, that four, would work. Yeah, yeah, you could easily that would do work. it.
Adam, anything else? Yeah, so sticking with my absolutely up to the minute <laughs> <laughs> the breathing edge of gaming he's <laughs> been playing crocodile I <laughs> also dug out another old Knizia which I haven't played in about 8 years which was Contest of Kings Contest of Kings is mini Tigris and Euphrates so if Euphrates and Tigris just, just for, the, for the, the mic there's 5 other people in this room now shaking their head going what? <laughs> <laughs> well it's good we never play it because there's always a copy of actual Tigris and Euphrates, which is just that bit better. Okay. Has more is it designed element, as a mini Tigris and Euphrates, or is that your how you summon it up? No, no, that is it is it's Tigris Euphrates and Tigris Contest of Kings is the first Oh, game. okay, okay. Um, and it's a, a card game version, but it yeah. still has a lot of the spatial element. The cards are being used to lay out a grid in a very similar way, and you've still got the leaders working in the same way. I'm a little sad that I've had it for about eight or nine years now and never played it yet because I brought it out today and it's really great and it's just a really nice portable way to be able to carry Tigris around with you. Very small. Component. Since Adam's here in Topador, I've played Adam's copy with him before. Oh, yes. eight years ago? <laughs> it was eight years ago. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, what's the play time? What makes it different for Tigris Freeze? Why might you choose to play it around Tigris Freeze? The playtime is around the same if you know what you're doing, if people are familiar with the ideas, because it's still got the exact same different kind of conflicts in it that you have in, in Tobris and Euphrates. So that can be a hurdle for new players. But once people are familiar with it, it's around the same 45 minutes to an hour. It's, it's also, from memory, isn't it, a similar level of complexity and, and depth, isn't it? It's not a lighter, faster version of the same thing. No, no, it still has the same complexity and depth, because what you lose in some of the spatial elements that you have on the board you gain in an additional hand management element because where you would normally be scoring points by simply taking cubes, you can only score those points if you have the cards in hand to discard into your score pass. So there's an extra thing to track. Okay. So I would honestly say it hits exactly the same spot as Tigris. So the reason you'd play it is if, as this weekend, you're just bringing a very small rucksack and don't have room for big games. It's a it's, very, very niche area, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> it is, it is the, pretty niche. The question then is, why have you not played it for eight years? Because there's always a copy of Tigris. Oh, it's <laughs> <that> <laughs> really <laughs> niche. <laughs> the best thing about it is that it's really like Tigris, and the worst thing about it is Tigris exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think, so, I've, I've advocated for it several times, and I've often brought it, and people always kind of said, well, no, why don't we just play actual Tigris and don't want to have to learn something new to get that same experience, because they can get that experience from something they already know. But if you want something more portable, or if you just want something a bit different, if you love Tigris and you want to try something like it with an additional element, I'd really recommend it. And while it is an old game, I've definitely seen copies recently in shops. It's still about. So I'm not entirely irrelevant. I feel like the word <laughs> redundancy at some point needs to be put into this conversation. I don't know how. I don't know where. We played a groovy little three-player game this morning. Paul and Lloyd of King of Siam. I had this on my list of games to talk about and then decided I couldn't work out how to introduce it. And I kind of scribbled down, if you like being confused and frustrated, this game's for you. <laughs> and I think that's probably fair, isn't it? I, I didn't really feel frustrated. But a lot of confused. But a bit I, of confused. I think the only confused... I felt was my inability to work out how to put two cubes from one area to the other way. Just give them a quick overview of it. So this is 
a reimagining and a very small board of an election in Siam. And there are three vying political parties, as well as the threat of the British coming in and taking over from the election. Sounds very boring, I know. There are three different colours of cubes, red, yellow and blue. And they represent the voters who are going to be voting in a random order in the eight areas. Each player gets eight cards. On their turn, they may pass or play a card. If all players pass in a row, there is an election in the next area. And if there is a majority in any colour of cubes, they are going to be victorious, which is great. They get a token in. And if any of the three political parties wins a majority of areas, then whoever's got the most cubes of that colour is going to win the game. However, if there are ties, the British take over. If the British take over half of the areas, which is four, then there's a British victory. And then it's whoever's got the most sets of one of each colour is going to win. Okay, that sounds confusing. Thank God there's a pirate that explains it all. Yeah. Which is equally confusing. It's almost worse. <laughs> and he's in both German and English next to each other. With, you know, the way German and English have got very similar but slightly different words. It's you like, guys have just given Adam a rake of abuse. And you pull this out of your <laughs> This is Tammany Hall in the smaller baby. So it's by Pierre Sylvester who has done, and I'm tempted to get Pruder in here as an edit point just to do the German pronunciation for me. He did uh, Miss Indus Walk as well. Um, and in all of his games, they're incredibly opaque. It's incredibly hard to work out what you want to and how to do it, with the exception of swapping cubes, which is really easy. <laughs> all of his games, it's always incredibly opaque, and you, you're never quite sure how. The actions you're taking will lead to the outcomes you want. Yeah. It's never as simple as it, as it should be, and it is in most other games. And that's a good thing in this instance. You only take eight actions the entire game, but you're constantly having to assess whether to take them now or today or later, whether you're doing the right actions or whether they can just simply be undone, uh, essentially costs you and the other person that does it. And it's this constant kind of back and forth tension, almost in absolute silence. As you're sitting there going, if, if I do this, then all I'm doing is cost me one of my eight actions. I only get eight actions to the entire game. So it's incredibly tight the number of things you can do. And so it's all of these kind of clever battles that are incredibly subtle. And it's, I think it's one of the games you probably want to play it 15 times to wrap your head around it. Mm. But I think it's a game where you can sit there for five minutes trying to figure it out, decide to do nothing, and still feel that that was a satisfactory turn. <laughs> and that you've enjoyably participated. <laughs> oh, I really thought there. Yeah. <laughs> Silence. That's what I came to. I was to trying to explain it to Ronan in the end paper for today, and I was saying there are probably about 40 chances for you to take a turn during the game. And you will only take eight turns in the entire game. So overwhelmingly, what you're doing with your turn is think about it and pass. And that is entirely the right thing to do. And it's 80% so, of the game is thinking and passing. It's so <laughs> unlike anything else, isn't it? But, okay. It's so hard to get across to a new player that actually you really don't want to be doing anything unless it's crucial. Yeah, because all eight actions are open to you, but most of them are unique. So once you use it once, it's gone. Yeah. And then that, so every action does feel precious. It's got lots of interesting things. One of the things that we ran into in our game this morning, now other people are watching it and they played it more and it's unusual, but you can only add cubes of a colour in its home area or adjacent to an area that's already won in the election. And one of the colours red we killed the home area early and then it wasn't going to win any other elections. So you suddenly couldn't add red cubes and it became so really one of your eight actions was useless. So useless. And then the blue one became useless quite quickly. Yeah. yeah, within halfway the blue, they had to, so then you got, why hold on to these? But why hold on to them? There are fewer red and blue cubes on the board, which means now red and blue are out and now my card is useless. And, and the real thing we haven't touched on, there are very few cubes on the board. When you play a card, you have to remove a cube. And that becomes your scoring cube. So let's say I play a card to add yellow in because I want to support yellow. I then have to take a yellow off the board to be able to score the fact that I'm supporting yellow. 
And then it's just, there's lots of little balances. It's quite counterintuitive. I think we had a slightly odd game because halfway through the rules explanation, Lloyd was sort of halfway through explaining that if the British win, there's a whole different set of victory conditions. <laughs> That's right. After the immortal words, I might not even bother to explain this because it happens so infrequently. <laughs> and of course, at, at which point it became clear to me what I needed to do doesn't take at all. And the word go, I was making the British win. And he declared this, and it may have affected the whole game. Wouldn't it? But he's not doing it, is he? He's not, he is doing it. Well, something we pointed out is the fact that if it was three Thai people playing it, it'd probably be less likely there was a British victory in there. <laughs> <laughs> fair, the British won, but I... <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lloyd ended up with three cards. He was the only person to take actions at the end, which ended up being incredibly powerful. Now, we knew that was coming, but it, he almost couldn't win, even though he had the last three actions. And, it, and if the Thai parties win, if you take the last action, you lose. If the British win, if you take the last action, you... you oh, it's, yeah, for such a tight little game, very interesting. That's King of Siam. The other beauty of King of Siam is that if people have played it, which admittedly isn't that many people... But if people have played it, it gives you a leg up on explaining the victory conditions of Pax Premier. Because they're yeah, actually no, that's very not similar. Plus, no, that's not plus. <laughs> I'm just saying, you're not really selling this game. So after this podcast, I think far fewer people will actually be playing King of Siam. I'm actually now thinking as soon as we stand up from this podcast, I'm going to grab a and maybe find a third person and go and play it. <laughs> He's going to run like 15 miles in the opposite direction. I think Brendan might be our third. Too. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I do I, want to play the game. It's interesting. Yeah. Shawnee? One of the favourites in uh, the household of uh, myself and Natalie is Vikings from Z-Man Games. Uh, I believe it's from Kiesling of Kiesling and Kramer fame. I find it a really interesting blend and I think it's a fantastic game. I always enjoy it even though I seem to be getting worse every time I play it. Natalie, you won the game. Because I love this game. I love this game. I never win, but I love it. So we played it on Friday and we played with Carl. It was a three-player game and for the first time, Shawnee absolutely tanked the economy portion. So Some really desperate, desperate choices. So he didn't have any money and that made it easier for me to win, which was great. But, you know, separate from that, it's, it's a really fun light-hearted game it looks very pretty you're building your little island so is you can score points but I think it is I really I think do it's quite mean it can be quite mean to people if you yeah, want to yeah but yeah I've known it to lead to some fairly serious swearing really <laughs> if people are really Drat. messing with that wheel and, and taking a thing that's not quite so good for them yeah. just because it stalls you and they know you can't afford it so it depends on who you're playing it with it has the potential yeah. To be really nasty. I don't know. Maybe no. because I just don't play I that way. We play quite. I like it enormously mm. because it has the potential to be nasty. Mm. So that's definitely not a negative <laughs> for me. And the I reason, think... the reason for that is you can really, which is not something you find in every Euro game, is you can really affect what the other players are doing. I've played before where the person immediately before me was sort of playing in a very nice way, not really quite as familiar with the game, making some fairly tame decisions, and it gave me a massive bonus. I won the game almost directly as a result of being after someone who wasn't blocking me, wasn't taking the things away I needed to play. It's sort of a strength and weakness. If you've got a load of people who are a similar level and they're playing it in the same way, it's really strong, it's really, you get a lot of interaction. But it, all it takes is one person who's not really up to speed to throw it off and give one of the but, other people but a Paul, we're at London on board. <laughs> What's the chances? <laughs> Vikings is fantastic. We, we talked about it. 
several times and never miss an opportunity to say how great it is. One of the big hits from last time round was Baseball Highlights 2045, and there was a tournament for it, and there was a tournament again for it, run by a podcast helper, Puria. Paul was part of it. How'd it go? What was, uh, the, what was the format? What was the story? What was... So I, I assume that it's a format that's supported uh, by the game company. Puri was able to produce a lot of pre-printed score sheets and tournaments, structures, um, structured diagram, like your World Cup wall charts, that's something we know <laughs> to Americans. Obviously a designed sort of tournament structure and it worked really well. There were probably about 16 to 20 of us. We started off in small groups playing round-robin matches in groups of four, and then the winner of each of those groups and the second-place player went on to a knockout-style tournament structure. It's been talked about a lot before on the podcast. It's a really strong game. It's got this beautiful mechanic if you play a short game, you get new toys, new players to play with, and you instantly get to use them. And on a personal level, the tournament didn't go quite so well. I had this idea at the start that I was going to be playing a lot of games and I should get my economy, my ability to buy better players going. And that came you good. You money ball. Yeah. <laughs> that came good, but uh, by then I was out of the tournament. I built an unbeatable team, and my only contribution was to knock out probably the strongest player from our group <laughs> by beating him with my unbeatable team. Um, and I uh, felt very bad about it for, for most of the rest of the day. Uh, and just to note, Lloyd did. If I can go against the ground and be the no, counter, I think I'm the only person who just doesn't get it. No, I don't. No, I don't. Can I go against grain with all the other people that are going against grain? Where's the grain going? The grain. We are now the grain. Yes, it's just the fans of it are more vociferous. No, I, but, I think, to be fair, you're, you're not going against the, the grain in the room at present of six people, but certainly but the amount of people... Actually, I think Adam yeah. might be more accurate in that there's maybe 30% of the people here really love it. Yeah. And really uh, but they really love it. Love it. And, and, you know, I, I don't think anyone hates it. Hates it? No, I, no, I... I don't. You do. I actively for me, I've only played. I've only played. Is it, it because time. it's less than ten years old? <laughs> <laughs> it might be this new fangled stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me. The old baseball robots. What's that? Baseball I, scrolls. Eighteen forty-five. Yeah, rounders. That would be fine. <laughs> no, I think partly it might have been because I've only actually played it in the tournament format. So my introduction to the game was with foe of the show, Martin. So we were at Martin's and there were, everyone was very excited about it and we had four people. So we played the four player tournament format. And I think that you do to an extent lose the deck building element of it because you're not playing the same person repeatedly. So if you're playing the standard format, it's two players and you see what they're doing and you counter and they counter yours and you get that back and forth. Absolutely. Whereas it felt I was just playing a bunch of games in isolation and then buying the best thing I could at the end of that. And the actual game itself, there wasn't enough for me. I don't know baseball, which maybe didn't help. And it meant that every single time I was saying, so, so I mean, this one, how far? And that one pushes him around because, and what now? There wasn't enough game there for me to, to kind of get my teeth into that it was worth it for me to keep learning that. And the deck building thing didn't pan out either. So, so, so maybe you have to try again two player, but it's, there are some fiddly rules. And I think, Although the baseball theme is not something that many people here in Britain are familiar with, it doesn't need it. The mechanics are based enough in baseball that you couldn't really do anything else with it. It's yeah. a baseball I game. think from my understanding of it, 
of baseball and from having played the game, it does seem that it's a good simulation and it's a really, really clever way of capturing what is a very long game with not a lot happening, boiling it all down into a, a really kind of snappy and, and fast-playing game, but, but it just didn't grab them. You're, you're right. The most fun I've had with this game was playing actually the three-player version of the game, which is very good, although it has a, a quite Weird. difficult yeah. to track <laughs> turn order. But once you get your head around it, it's good. And we play with the coaches expansion, and you see so you get a set of cards at the start, you can use one per game, and it allows you to build towards a strategy. You know, build towards having more natural players, more cyborg players, or more robot players. And as you say, to adapt to what other people are doing. The tournament structure definitely loses that. It's more random. It is just a case of buy the most expensive thing you can, it's probably the best. And then look for some combos, maybe a little bit, but you're not working against the thing. So maybe try it again, three player, play a one-off game rather than a tournament structure. I'm going to sit on the several grains and say, I quite like it, but I'm not over the moon about it. It's fine, it's a good game, it's quite fun, I don't know why they're not. But anyway, last night in the early hours, Sean. Yes, we... Uh... No, 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 before that, when we're still playing games. <laughs> <laughs> We set off, uh, we've been joined by Paul and Chris, uh, other oh, Paul, the other not, Paul. not full on Paul, Paul A, and uh, we set off on our pursuit of happiness. And you fools let me <laughs> did the rules. <laughs> fools. We maybe set off on that little pursuit a little bit too late, because <laughs> by half one in the morning it was more like the pursuit of melancholy. <laughs> Which is but, a better game, though. <laughs> <laughs> Ronan was with us as well. I just want to get everyone's thoughts on how the game played, Paul. I think we mostly got all the rules right. There was a couple of bits that we, we had to query and stuff, but generally we got it right. Again, it's, a rulebook issue. <laughs> I mean, we were genuinely yeah. a rulebook issue. It's quite ambiguous. I enjoyed it in the sense that if you're into the theme of having a character who's born, uh, I was a nerd in this one. And I don't know why that <laughs> would be, why someone would be a nerd. <laughs> but you get to choose, you know, your job and your role and your, your life decisions and you see how your life pans out. If you get into that bit, it's really enjoyable. The actual worker mechanics are very straightforward. You just it put the worker down, get some, yeah, you get some tokens and you turn that tokens into something else and later yeah. on it turns into points. So that bit, not that exciting. But the theme is makes it for me. I agree with that. I actually again because it's, it's it's a weird one to be linking with. But the best treehouse ever. It's not the most innovative game. It's not the greatest game you'll ever play. But if you get into it and you try and build things and match things up and you get into the theme of it, I think that's when you, as you say, you're going to get most enjoyment out of it. And I know Chris is a big fan of CV the game. Absolutely. I, I kind of think, for me, it's a CV beta. I've got CV, I like CV, but I think for me it's, it adds those Euro elements into it and it makes it more of a game. It's a happier blend. I genuinely don't know what I think about it. <laughs> I, I mean, I've played it two or three times now and I still genuinely don't know what I think about it. I think it's a lovely looking game. I quite like the idea. Of course, it's got a worker placement, which I like. I'll play it if it, it's put on the table. But I don't necessarily yeah, like to. It's your game. <laughs> I know, right? I bought it. I bought it at Essen because I, I sort of played a couple of play test rounds. It played quite nicely. But every time I've played a game, only a couple of times now, admittedly, I just feel a bit like, eh, yeah, okay, it's fine. It's neither here nor there. It's not quite light enough to be a, a fun, upbeat kind of thing, but it's then again not yeah. deep enough to give a really kind of thinky aspect to I it. I think it's one broken one aspect thing. of it. One of the things you can do is, is get, it gets into a relationship. Yeah. I think we all looked at those relationships and thought they're just not worth it. It's a whole section <laughs> of the board. 
Hold on, hold on. What, what's the podcast about? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, this, this bit that I broke and did generate the best comment. Ronan came through and said, yeah, none of us can be bothered to get into a relationship. It's a perfect simulation. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, Ronan thought he misread a card like, does every relationship make you unhappy? <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> so, Natalie, Natalie, do you like CV? I do like CV because it's lighter. She's happiest is neither fish nor fowl. It's neither one thing or another. Whereas CV is quite a bit lighter. You can rip through it quite quickly. It's still got the theme. Probably need a few more expansions if you want to keep playing it. But I, I like CV a lot. I'm the but same. I think the two main problems I have with it are it went on a bit too long for the weight of it. It was quite a simple yeah. placement. It's eight or nine rounds rather than five or six. It took us probably two hours to play. And the second thing is everything is too similar. Getting a project is all exactly the same as going into a relationship. You, know, you go through three or four stages, same as getting the job is slightly different, but everything does much of a muchness. Mm-hmm. Instead of really throwing yourself into something and say, oh, I'm going to take this, this is going to be expensive, it's a real, you know, or, or just having some variety in the cards, you know, big, big risk, big reward. Also, there wasn't much risk. You knew exactly what was happening. Mm-hmm. I, I know exactly only three books for that. Okay, I'll get my three books and I go and do it. It needed a little bit of something, a little bit of a surprise, a little bit of a mix up, a little bit of, we were all doing very similar things. Sean and Paul better than Natalie and I, <laughs> but in the end, I was trying to tell a story, not a pleasant story. Myself and Paul died early, and my most enjoyable bit was I spent my life working at this crappy job, and I finally, near the end, managed to retire, and it was so much joy to just retire and not do this job every turn. And then I took all my money, spent it as fast as I could in order to kill myself. To die. So that I could score the points for being first to die. For the live and fast die young card. No. Two more points before Natalie finishes us off on the pursuit of happiness. They have done a recent Kickstarter, the second edition of the game, and I think there's more stuff in it. I think they promised that they fixed a few of the issues that the game had. That doesn't sound like Kickstarter, does it? <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm actually getting the actual Kickstarter cards that... that well, this is a funny one that was released by a publisher and then has gone on Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah they released yeah, the yeah. S and now they're Kickstarting the it second. It's got a bit of a buzz, they're a small company. Yeah, so... so I'm getting the cards that allegedly fix it up and uh, change it a little bit. But the last thing I'll say about the game is that it's got a shelf life for me as well. It's definitely, I think, four or five get more games of this, and I can't see... I'm Was that half enjoy- more game of this? <laughs> <laughs> I can't see I'm going to be enjoying the, the, the thematic elements that I enjoy now. That's why I might go back to CV, because I think CV works... Yeah, I mean, I love, I just briefly on CV, I mean, I think it's, it's a game I know, I mean, I've played this weekend, I know it's been around on a few tables. It's such a fun, light game. I don't think you want to play it more than once every six months or so, you know, it's one that sort of comes off the shelf, I and mean, every time you play, if you're at the right group, it's a really good laugh. I mean, talking about stories about games, my favourite one on CV was, we had a friend over, and he was getting really excited all the way through the game, because every card he took kind of mirrored his actual life which is brilliant right up until the end when he came last <laughs> <laughs> did he walk away like make some life choices <laughs> I was just wanted to say that one of the things about Pursuit of Happiness is it's a very solitary game so there's actually no interaction between the players like yeah, you, just can, you can just put yeah. your double down there is no restriction on how many you know of your doubles it's not really be work each. placement it's, it's not really selection. it's yeah. just selection yeah. you're not worker placement other than kind of maybe taking a project that someone wants, and there are so many that come through and they yeah. recycle so quickly, that's really not going to be an issue. 
it's very solitary and if I'm saying that you know it's a problem because I like to be left alone and I'm like just leave me alone don't attack me and I won't attack you quit it that's, that's a really weird thing to hear about a game that's meant to be you know, similar of life and relationships mm. yeah it's yeah the, it thing. wasn't thematic like what you do is you can go and play you can go and study you can go and interact and you get sort of creativity or you get knowledge or you get handshakes handshakes we, you know, we have no idea what they should be called none of them were in any way thematic they weren't used for different they were all used for a project they were all used for a job they were slightly to you need education to have a science job what have you but they didn't feel any different it was I'm going to click three resources I'm going to click three resources I'm going to click three resources and anyway, we're just going to go back very briefly we're talking about here the best bit about Pursuit Happiness was the story it was quite funny we did all laugh at times but went on a bit too long we want to talk to Chris because he played in that game of Ultra we talked about and we want to ask him about whether monsters can move around the board and why he's so popular with dogs. <laughs> well. <laughs> so Chris now has the nickname Pedigree Chum. <laughs> so having been a former fan of Arkham Horror and having ended up selling it because I used to spend most games in the rulebook rather than actually playing the game, I've been looking forward to trying Overture, but I didn't want to shout out money on it because I was a little bit nervous it would still be too fiddly and complicated. So when I saw these guys playing, I was like, great, I'll have a game. So my first turn, I'm like, oh, okay, um, I, I don't really know the rules, but it all looks pretty similar, but can the monsters move like they do in, in Arkham Horror? To which Ronan reliably said to me, no, 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 that hardly ever happens. No, no, it's, you know, it's not a problem. So at the end of that turn, this massive, great big monster of a hellhound thing <laughs> decides to move to my space and almost kill me. Okay, fair enough. Funny, one off. Next turn, I move somewhere else. Same colour car comes out. So it's hellhound, follows me along and does eat me. <laughs> fair enough. So I choose another character, put him on the board. <laughs> yeah, I think we can all see what it's going on. The next turn. <laughs> next turn. <laughs> this is after a lunatic oh, broke out and then somebody ran away to the Himalayas. At this point, I gave up picking beardy old men <laughs> and grabbed a massive sailor in the, you know, <laughs> nicely sailor. This is why we host the conference in Eastbourne. <laughs> You can get hold of massive <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, as well as Adam, have been playing some older games, and a game that got a reprint recently, and I haven't played it ever before, is Medina, which is it's an abstract game, really, about putting out blocks of different colours and taking control, and when you take control of a block of one of four different colours, you cannot take control of another one, and it can't be added to, and generally the bigger that area is, it's called Palaces, uh, then the more points it's going to score, although you can connect it to walls and towers and get bonus points and uh, build merchants around it. And there's a well which provides bonuses for certain spaces. Has anyone else here played Medina for starters? I yeah. have. I mentioned it on uh, the Christmas episode you did. Oh, yeah. My games of yeah, 2015. I, have I have apparently forgotten all about any previous episodes. <laughs> <ever, ever>, <laughs> it's been a long weekend of organising. Carry on. <laughs> So yeah, so as you say, it is an abstract game, but it's a very pretty abstract game. Yeah. It's got both editions, the old one and the new, the beautiful wooden bits. And at the end of the game, you've built yourself a beautiful sort of Arabian Spanish. <laughs> sure, <laughs> yes. Outside of British Isles. City. And it is, it's a sort of a greed punishment simulator. You start the game and there'll be a, 
got a palace and it'll be three pieces big and you think, ah, oh, later in the game I can get a much bigger one, like, a much bigger one, I'm not taking that. And then someone will take it and you kind of scoff it, ha, idiots, why have you taken that? And then the last turn of the game is you're scrabbling around thinking, oh, two, two pieces is quite good, that's not terrible. You'll think back to that and really regret not having to have jumped first. It's only one palace of each colour can be added to, it can only be live at any time, so you've got a judgement between adding to that palace or claiming it. Because all you're doing is setting up the other players by putting more blocks in, and it's the real push pull. And you have to add blocks if you can. So you might end up stuck with blocks of a colour, which you can't add to anything useful for yourself, but you have to, as you're trying to avoid being able to do that. I think to sum up the game, we looked up a couple of rules as we went, because we learned from the rule book, and the decision we came to was if the interpretation of the rule was you could be more of a to someone, that is the way it works. Because every clarification was, can you do that? Is it being a Yes, you can. <laughs> Paul, this this is a really dealer. tricksy game, and the very first time you play it, it's very difficult to know the value of the buildings and the space that you're playing in. But those later games that you play, when you play the game again and you know some of the tricks and some of the, the quirks of the game, it is fantastic. You always have this thing of, you look at the person and go, well, if they just play one more block, then I'll catch them. <laughs> yeah. But they're sat there thinking, hmm, if the player before me just plays one more block, <laughs> and, it, oh, you, and by the time you, you decide, now, I must grab it now, the bloke before you places their thing and claims it, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, now I'm going to start a game. So yeah, it's very, very tricksy. And you think the game's going on quite a while and then there's a rush near the end because essentially there's not enough space for everybody to get their stuff down, claim stuff, and it, it, you get a very fast, very furious end and it's yeah, a very lovely game. Yeah, you, You'll play that. one game of this where you wait till the end and everybody is forced to add to your palace and you're going to score an incredible amount of <laughs> as everybody piles in and then you remember that and that will be your strategy, and it will be <laughs> ruined. <laughs> You're never really good at a game, the game after you just won it. Yes. <laughs> True, right. So Medina was a lot of fun. Para salir y del vaso Con las paredes veo tu rostro Con la memoria busco tu rostro Hello, it's Ronan again. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we are running a flash competition over the next three days until the 9th of May 2015. We are doing this in conjunction with our friends at Mage Company, and it's for a copy of Aether Captains, which is currently on Kickstarter. Aether Captains is a steampunk-themed, scenario-based, asymmetric board game for 1-5 to five players. One player commands the mighty naval zeppelins of the Grand Compact, Dauntless and Dominion. As commander, you've been tasked by the Emperor to defend the Grand Compact and Arcadi from the merciless Sky Pirates. With your staunch crew of steamwelders, engineers, navigators and gunners, you fly with honour to confront the pirates threatening Arcadi. The remaining players command waves of attacking Sky Pirates, each with their own unique objectives which may pit them against any player when it results in the greatest profit for themselves. Infamous and feared, you have risen through the cutthroat cadres to become a war captain. You swear to never rest until you control the skies and the Grand Compact falls. As I said, it's a scenario-based game, and each scenario takes 30 to 60 minutes. Please head over to Kickstarter and check it out, and you'll find the answer to these two questions. The questions we have for you are, how many Navy commander ships are included in Aether Captains? The second question is, how many action cards can a war captain choose in each round? 
If you can put those two answers in an email and send it to thegamepitcompetition at gmail.com, you will be entered into the prize draw and one copy of Aether Captains will be sent anywhere worldwide from Mage Company to our lucky winner. Like I say, get those answers in quick. It's a flash competition and please head over to Kickstarter and check out Aether Captains. Cheers and now on with the show. The big hit, I think, of the weekend, which certainly the first couple of days I saw played all the time, although it is long, so yeah, that may have been like one game with on for hours, was the new hotness. We have been chatting about it, both of myself and Sean, finally got around to playing it, played with Paul, Chris has played it. So, Star Wars Rebellion. Well... <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago <laughs> a long time ago in the games room far far away myself and Chris started oh, yeah. off on a on a journey it is an epic game it's, it's billed as an epic game it's supposed to be long it's supposed to be a game of cat and mouse between the rebellion and the empire the gentleman Sam who I know is a listener of the show, who explained it to myself and Chris, he put it down as a little bit of Fury of Dracula and... Oh, for God, the... can we not do that? <laughs> With the, the rebel base being hidden and the Empire trying to find the rebel base. And then I think he likened it a little bit to Twilight Imperium. Yeah, I'm not so keen on that. Yeah, but I do know what he meant. You are trying to influence planets. You are influencing planets, planet. and then you're harvesting from those planets. It was a very interesting experience. Now I'll say now, my game went on for six and a half hours, <laughs> which why it just drained me. <laughs> I, I, I just want to say that the competent imperial players in this room didn't take that long to win. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, this is this is the this is. The, the direct comparison, and it was really good that it happened. So we, we, what happened was we were both playing team games. So there were four-player games where two players Imperial, two players are Rebels, but we were playing in different games, and we both yes. played on the side of the Empire. So myself and Paul were, were playing as the Empire in one game, and Sean was playing with the Empire against Chris in the other game. So that's where the comparisons are going to come across. It is, absolutely. And it was, it was really interesting to see how fast your game was ticking along. I'm led to believe that... It's, a lot of this is to do with the initial setup. You randomly draw where the Empire bases are going to go and where the Rebel base is going to go. And our random draw put us all on one side, quite a distance away from each other. It, it didn't mix it up at all. And it was the first time that Sam had ever seen a draw like that. And it completely changed the dynamics of the game. I'm going to keep mentioning Sam because he was obviously the one that we were going off. He was the one who played it four or five times. He was getting to be an expert. It was myself and Chris's first go. There were things that I think we could have done to speed it up. But watching Ronan and Paul's game, they started off probably half an hour after us, maybe 45 minutes after us. And by the time they finished... They were three rounds ahead of us. I think our game would have ended in a... Sean's going to really look forward to talking about this, much as I did just enjoy talking about our eldritch, my eldritch horror moment. But essentially what happened was, almost at a similar point in the game, the Imperials were at a point where it looked like they were about to crush us. And then something went wrong, Sean, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it involved dice and it involved me touching them. Well, that is so often the way. Well, uh, so... 
Effectively, what happened is I was playing the ground troops, my partner Mike was playing the uh, Star Destroyers, etc. And he had two Star Destroyers and a whole heap of TIE Fighters against not much at all, but on the land was an Ion Cannon. And that Ion Cannon was defended by one troop (laughs) and one speeder. (laughs) And my fleet of an ATAT and four ATSTs (laughs) took four rounds to get rid of that one troop and that one speeder. And what the Ion Cannon does, it negates the firepower of the Star Destroyers. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> so they couldn't shoot. <laughs> the The Rebels were picking off all the TIE Fighters and obviously eking down the Star Destroyers. <laughs> and by the time I had finally got rid of the Iron Cannon, it was a couple of TIE Fighters against the, one of the biggest ships. I'm... You need to hire someone to come to Eastbourne and just... Throw your dice for me. <laughs> I think just you can. Are you can still for the roll. No, God no. But the you roll. can still do it. What I got from listening to your game going on and from talking to you afterwards is that on the rebel side, they just didn't get any of the things that could have combated what you were doing out. They didn't have the rescue card when you carbonated the leader. You managed to get the thing that turned Luke to the dark side. I don't know why you didn't do that. Because <laughs> you didn't draw it. Well, yeah, well, we won by doing that. Yeah. So why didn't you just do that? It felt like that maybe... <laughs> There was a, there's an interesting thing there, though, where we actually had the same thing in our game. In the first, I think, three rounds, each team gets to draw a couple of cards each round into your hand. You have a maximum hand size of ten, and you have four cards that are always in your hand. So whether or not you play them or not, they always come back into your hand. Definitely in the first two turns, and probably the first three turns, we only used those four original cards mm-hmm. yeah. with our generals. And I think the other table had exactly the same problem. They, they were drawing cards, looking at them, going... This is absolutely useless to me. You can't do that. Yeah. So we put down maybe three of our cards because you, you start with four generals and you get more as the game goes on each round. So you end up with maybe or, eight. Or, or not. Or they, or they get captured. <laughs> but we started before. We were, we'd hold one back. We'd play three of our four cards. The other rebel starting card is useless because it lets you move your base. You're not going to need to do it until later in the game. Whereas in each of the first two rounds, the Imperials were using all these cards that were cards they picked up. We were being predictable. It should be noted that your generals that you get in are basically your action points. Yeah. That's how you use actions. So in the other game, you took away three of their action points, which was, was yeah, a we massive swing. Side, yeah. Whereas we hampered our rebels by taking Leia, but there was only one. They were ever, only ever down by one. So I think that is it's a big swing. Three, three people missing and taking Luke off them onto your side. And what we were talking about, because because the other guys who play the play more often than us, were the different strategies that are available to you on either side, and how valid they'll be with different setups. Because it's so variable. There's so many different things that happen. Different cards can come out. You can get different leaders. Now Paul and I played it like a euro. <laughs> for the first half, we decided as the Empire, we're just going to spread out, take as many planets as we can, have lots of production, so that no matter what the Rebels do, if they take a planet, it doesn't matter, because it's one of 15 planets rather than one of 8 planets. And then we have these interesting ways they build units. Depending upon the planet, it tells you what it builds and how long it's going to take to be produced. It goes on a timeline, and then that slides down as you go. We just chopped that up so that we knew we had loads of units coming, and then we, we don't care what the Rebels are doing. It doesn't matter if you block a production facility. We know you're not there. That's all we need to know. We have more than enough units which can spread out everywhere now. And we kind of Euro it. And they said they hadn't seen it like that before. We went and watched yours. 
and you very much had bigger armies that were going around one by one by one. The thing I have is I can't say that what we did was a valid tactic because the next time round, the rebels might get different cards and it won't work or we might get different cards and it won't work. And it's how much you have to adapt yeah. to what's going on. And my main question about the game, I did enjoy the play. There was a lot going on. There's a lot to think about. We had good fun playing as a team what have you. Actually, I've got two questions. One is... I don't know whether team play is the best way to play because I feel like it slowed it down a bit, but you had the interaction, so I'll ask you guys about that. And the second thing is, the level of bullshit for the amount of thought that was going into it, is there too much that can happen that you just go, oh, well, that just happened. Now, that is part of the fun. Is it six hours of fun? Second point first, I think the level of bullshit, I think you can just get bogged down in the... So many things could happen. If you start thinking about the... the, hundred things that can happen in any one round that you will just talk yourself into a circle and you yeah, will just yeah. talk yourself to death. I think maybe you need to just say, right, what's the most probable thing to do and let's just do something. And yeah, the one thing, I actually cost us the game as well as my terrible rolling <laughs> because I just I just wanted to do something because we were just plodding around the board. Can we get Mike in here? <laughs> <laughs> I actually wanted to do something and then we ended up blowing up a planet with the Death Star. Oh, we so wanted to do that! Yeah, and then there was, there was a funny you moment when I was trying to, I was trying to bluff. I know you could score points on yeah. the phone, yeah. I was trying to bluff John and Rachel that we had the card ready to do it because we were, we were closing in on their base. And Paul was like, oh, I really hope we draw that card. <laughs> Just as I had them worried about it. I was like, Jack, quiet. Maybe that's why I don't like the team game. <laughs> it's a really interesting point for the sort of bullshit levels and also the time. But for me, the real key of that was, do you want to have a discussion about what you want to do mm-hmm. in that kind of game? Do yeah. you want to play team memoir? Yeah. If you don't, don't play it. I really enjoyed the fact that we were chatting. Yeah, six hours I think was odd. Mm-hmm. I don't think if I played that second time, it wouldn't last that long. It wouldn't, no. But it would be four. And yes, yeah, yeah. I'm happy playing four hour game. But also, like on your Euro comment, just, yeah. just briefly, yeah, for me... There's a lot of Euro in there. Mm. I mean, there are some dice rolling moments, and in our game, they decided it. And that, I think that is probably what made it a kind of a merry trash. Because mm. most of the game is a Euro game. It's kind of worker placement. For the amount of time we spent, the amount of dice that I rolled in that game, compared to the amount of hours we played. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this game. This is an epic game. You want the game to be epic, because it, it essentially spans you know, the whole arc of the Star Wars movies. And you've got all of the characters, all of the locations, everything, but jumbled up because the stories are slightly different now. You do have an overall strategy sometimes, but it has to change. Essentially, your tactics and the back and forth, they do something, we do something, we counter them, they counter us. That's all really nice. The thing with the the four players, we played it slightly different than the official rules, where normally you would actually play one player, two player, three player, four player, and we played it more mixy-mixy, so we chop and change. Which is unofficial, but makes it more so, fun, essentially. Yeah. Let yeah. you go for a pee during six hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing, uh, Sam himself, he actually said that it was that was a complete anomaly. Like, he had never seen it, even co-op anything go that long. But John was saying uh, that about our game. No, I've never seen this before. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think, so every game I think so the game, it could go four hours quite easily. And our game could have done it if I wasn't such a muppet. <laughs> <laughs> but... It has got the capacity to go that long. So, if you like Star Wars, if you like board games, you absolutely need to play this game because <laughs> I don't it know. Is, no, I don't know. You, you have to, to accept it. how long it is. Yeah, yeah. play it. Yeah, you need to play Give the it game. A go. 
Yeah, you if you want to sit down to watch the, the trilogy and watch all three films, you know you're going to be there for a good, you know, yeah. five hours. So some people want to watch the trilogy, and some people <laughs> just want to watch half of one I film. Think, well, I think, well, just would you buy it? Because it's, it's eighty pounds. Would you go out? And oh buy this yeah, thing? mainly just for the figures. The figures are, are glorious to get. Two Death Stars and one in construction. The scope of the board, the scope of the game, absolutely I'd buy it. And for me, at the very end of it, it creates an incredibly enjoyable story. Maybe not the same as the original movies, because things are in different places and stuff. But after the game, you will sit there and discuss it with the other people going, oh, do you remember this happened? And we, if we'd done this, and if you'd gone there... And you get that whole beautiful story. Cool. So. I think the other thing to say is that all around are giving this impression that they were some slick, finely old machine. And <laughs> <laughs> you two were bumbling around in the dark. Uh, yeah. But there was, a, there, was a, there was a glorious moment as, a, as an onlooker. That's, that's what I saw. <laughs> while, while Lloyd and I were deep into our ninth or tenth game of X-Wing in the uh, previously mentioned Star Wars slash Quiet Room, we looked across and, and Paul was proudly exclaiming that he knew that the Rebel base was on one of eight planets. <laughs> And it's just a look in his eye that, that told us that I might not, he might not be quite certain. <laughs> we had some bureaucratic issues with some our note keeping. Accounting issues. <laughs> Chris, would you buy the game? No, but I do think it's worth the money. I do think it's a great game. The only reason I wouldn't buy it is because I don't think I have people that would want to play it often enough. 80 quid for what you get in the box and for the game experience is a fair price. I. No, I, I, I don't know if I could justify the, the full £80. It will inevitably start dropping a bit. I think maybe 60 65 I'll start sniffing around. I think I'll end up owning it. Can I just chime My in and say no? <laughs> no, no? I won't buy it on it. <laughs> <laughs> and just the worst thing about it is I didn't get to blow up Naboo in the jungles. <laughs> Every time anyone mentioned, like, we could do that in the boo. You can always people going, no. Nah, <laughs> I, I'm not convinced enough to buy it. I think what also I'd like to do is play it two-player before I play it team again. So I knew it a bit more and I probably had more to put in. We were fumbling a bit and although we won, John, who was teaching us, he was our Sam, was guiding us a bit. So I'd like to kind of know it and then to buy not convinced fully yet but, but willing to be on the fence. Something of similar than an epic scope, Paul. You've been collecting cute little animals. Yeah, so myself, uh, so myself and the other Paul have both played Pegasus Spieler games. Things relatively new called Animals on Board. They were kind enough, amongst other publishers, to give us some hook and friends, Aries, Ludicrations. Put our Twitter promo copies of games for the convention. It was really appreciated. And this is, I think, one of the best to look at it. I think every sort of people kind of walk past it because it's very cutesy, 3D arcs. There's a load of pictures of animals, but actually. It's quite an interesting set collection game. So the basic sort of quick five-minute rules explanation is that you have a selection of animals numbered one to five. I think there's eight of no, sort of eight to twelve different types of animal. You will deal out twelve, and on your turn you will either divide them into a group, so you can start with a group of twelve, and you can divide one or more off into a separate group. Doing so gets you money, and then at some point during the round you're going to spend that money to buy a single group and keep it. You're looking for either one of an animal or a group of larger than two because Noah he's got the monopoly on, monopoly on <laughs> two, animals, yeah, no. and that is not feel the right air rock <laughs> it takes about 45 minutes it's full of interesting choices you really got to think about it a little bit bit of sort of guessing what your opponents are up to and really went over well yeah, it, I played it with. It's, a, it's a very very family friendly game but gamers will love to play it 
It's very quick, very easy to play. It is a little bit overproduced for what it is. You don't need individual Sean that's arcs. that's not a word that should ever be used. <laughs> you, even have, you even have a little flag that you place in your arc when you have, your turn is over. Yeah, it's like, all that. Oh, that's a little so, bit. So Sean, Sean's just about to go and buy this on next day. <laughs> With Star Wars Rebellion. But when you're no, playing it, it has a, a classic mechanic, which I've seen in a lot of games, and it's, it's, it's a brilliant mechanic where you have a range of items... And if you're not going to buy a bunch of it, you've got to somehow split them into two portions, but make it so that neither one is too attractive to the next player. There's a bit of Medina in that, in the way where you're, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah I want to add something, but I want to make it too yeah. good. I don't think you've played it yet, Ren, but I think you really enjoy it because I think I split you choose is something you really like, yeah, and that's do, yeah. basically what it is. Yeah, but nice and quick, and it's and it's nothing more than that. It doesn't overcomplicate. I, I feel like that it definitely was added to by the fact that. It was the right weight for a Sunday morning recon when people are waking up Absolutely. and you played it in a lovely sunny room with the sea and all the rest of it. <laughs> it was a pleasant atmosphere as well. So yeah, it is a fair point that a gaming convention is a particular atmosphere and you're on a Sunday morning, you're looking for something that's quick, light and a bit different from the stuff you've played before. But under those circumstances, it's, it's a really nice thing. I think the sort of only trap of it is that lowest value animals are the youngest and therefore cutest and I, I couldn't get out of the desire to collect those. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> So, oh, are you young, a son? <laughs> young, cute, pretty, good art, monster winning game, above and below. This is a lovely game. I, I know almost nothing about it. I have to admit, someone said to me, this is a Kickstarter game, which you immediately think, oh, okay, it looks very, very pretty, and maybe it's actually a bit rubbish. But I was genuinely surprised it was a really enjoyable game. It takes the usual mechanics that you get from... A uh, bunch of games. There's a bit of work placement, bit of tableau building, but it actually ties it together quite nicely. And it's a very short game, only seven turns. So you're not building a massive engine. You're literally just going, okay, I'll do a couple of these things. These will get me points. And the extra bit that a lot of people I know liked about this game is that if you want to, you go adventuring and you almost have a choose your own adventure part to the game where you roll a dice. You'd read out a section from a book and it says, would you like to go exploring? Would you like to rescue the person you've just met? And in fact, in the one we did, <laughs> Sam went exploring and he found he was in a theatre full of small shrews. <laughs> and they were all impatiently waiting for the show to happen. I don't know what was going on. And then the choice was, would you like to put on an impromptu show for the shrews? Or would you like to pick their pockets? Now, whichever one you choose, you then have to get some successes. You roll some dice. The guys you sent off adventuring get some successes. You then get some rewards. You get some XP, some coins, some reputation. It's not a big part of the game, but it's a lovely extra layer to the game that just gives you a bit more than just plain old, I'll collect three of these, turn it into two of these, and every turn I, I increase my income. So it's quite lovely, but it's very quick, very you easy. You should shut up on a lovely blog, above and below fan <laughs> <laughs> So we played it. We've actually, myself and Ryan have actually played it. I keep we'll chatting about it. it. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a, it's a beautiful-looking game. It's by someone with a mentioned a lot, podcast. He's Ryan Lowcat and Red Raven Games. You said one of the bonuses for you that it was short, and we just didn't feel like it got going. Okay. We we were just starting to think about an engine, and then the game was over. And one of the things that some people have done who actually do like the game is adding a couple of extra rounds. 
Okay. Give him another shout. Sorry? Right. Give him another shout. <laughs> in that game with him. So, it didn't quite hit the mark for me. They, it's a little bit of extra fluff. It, there, there is no real like story. Shave it down. It's <laughs> bare bones. Euro, yeah. With the little Euroness that was going on, Every now and then, you got just a little break where you someone read something out of a book and it. I want a break. And it entertains you. Misery. Miserable. Look at my face. I want to be thinking. I want something for a while to go. Is something wrong? Did your pet die? No, plenty of Europe. And I, the the fact that it's seven turns meant that I knew from the beginning. I'm not trying to build a really big, complicated engine. I'm literally just picking one or two things to do. Try and do well. Get on with it quite quickly. Rather than trying to build a long, slow building up engine that comes to life in six, seven turns time. It's a really popular game. Yeah, we are not one of the, the even crowd in this. We're one, one of the sensible crowd. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely in the minority, but we just didn't quite get on with it. So, we had another popular game. I guess we've got to talk about it. Blood Rage. Blood Rage. Why don't you start? I can start if you like. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you agree with him, you know it's done. <laughs> I'm only agreeing on who's starting. I mean, you know, we really agree on much more than that. It was one of those games for me, everyone was talking about it. So I thought, you know, I need to have an opinion on this game. And having played games that people compared it to, such as Kemet, I thought if it is along those lines, I'm probably going to enjoy it because Kemet's a game I really enjoyed. And so I went into it it's 50% thinking it's going to be nonsense and 50% thinking I hope I like it because there's a good chance I will. It really impressed me. I thought it was fantastic. Really, oh, really, really good fun. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, no, either was I. I. I just, it looks stupid. It's got loads of little stupid plastic miniatures, which is something that always turns me off. But once you start playing it, you're like, well, this is just a Euro game. You know, it's got drafting, like, you, like you're playing sort of Seven Wonders or something. You know? Roman's just having an aneurysm. <laughs> this is the most bullshit of bullshit games that ever lived. So, and I think you even maybe get seven cards. It's something, it's around that number anyway. You kind of draw a card, pass a rest on, so you kind of know what's around the table because you're going to be keeping most of these cards. There's a bit of text on them, but it's not too bad. Once you've drafted them, then you have a bunch of actions. You can kind of hold certain things back. You can deliberately use certain actions because they don't use much of your rage up. But the things that you really want to do are the ones that are going to cost rage. When you run out of that, you're kind of screwed and you can't do anything else. There's so many decisions to make. It's not about luck because it's, again, Euro style. It's about, okay, I've got these cards. I've drafted them. I've chosen what I've got. I can do them in whatever order I want. I can improve certain skills so I know what I can do when I'm going to do certain things. I thought it was fantastic fun. Really enjoyed it. It's bonkers. The other thing that really impressed me with it, it does that same thing of Kemet, where it's not an area control game where you just sit there going, okay, well, I'm just going to sit in the corner and hide. It's an area control game where you're basically going out, right, I'm going to have a massive fight. And if I win it, I'm going to get loads of points. If I don't, I'm knackered. That's the problem. If it was, and if you won it, you got points, I'd like it. But that's not true. You can win all your fights and lose the game. But it's got a different perspective. It's kind of use of that. You've got to know that it's not just about winning the fights. It's it's about dying honourably and almost setting... We've had this around so many times. It's not like... Me holding back a card that I know is going to mean I'm going to deliberately lose a battle to score points is Euro bullshit. No, it's not. It's why it's called Loki. And that for me, that was a beauty of it. You have Loki cards where you deliberately sneak into a battle. You, people just can't go into a battle when they choose. There has to be certain spaces in an area. If you haven't managed to get into that fight before then, there's nothing you can do about it. If someone plays a card 
and that gets them points just for the sake of getting points. You know that person has got that card because they get it back when they lose. So if you keep going into battles with that particular player and they, you know they've got that card, you shouldn't go into those fights. I found it really interesting to know those cards are out there and it was an extra thing you had to think about. I said it was only one game and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be and I need to go in with adjusted expectations. So I can't be too vociferous for once in my opinion. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Chris. Uh, I'm not sure if I quite agree that it's a, it's a lot of Euro mechanisms, in there, but there are some. And I do think there is strategy in there in luring people into a sort of false sense of security and, as you said, getting into a position where you can manipulate the, the outcome of something. I like it. I think it's, it's a lovely looking game and I think there's a lot going for it. But it's bullshit. But now I've got another game that I've talked about before on the podcast, Chris, and it's one of the games that you introduced to me, is The Dwarves. And it's, it's becoming almost like a, an Eastbourne habit now. <laughs> Getting together with yourself and playing the dwarves and Natalie being the flirty little dwarfy. I'm the flirty little. I've got a little bit of game going on. Just giving her a little bit of side eye. <laughs> She's got a jaunty tilt to her hips. Hold <laughs> on. Oh, no. I need to with it. <laughs> so the dwarves is a cooperative game. It's much like a kind of Lord of the Rings style fantasy game where you each get a character, you've got a land where enemies are invading and you are trying to complete a certain amount of quests before the enemy basically runs over you. And the way that works is every single turn you're moving along a track. If that track moves along to the end, then you guys are going to lose. If any of you die, you're going to lose. So it means everyone's always in the game right to the end. And all you're essentially trying to do is complete these quests as fast as possible whilst also having to battle monsters, maybe get items, and also influence a kind of political council by rolling dice. The beauty of it is that while it's a co-op, and while it could possibly suffer from the kind of alpha player thing, each of you have got very specific things you're good at, and every action you do, you get two per round. They're all involved in rolling a lot of dice. So even if you do have an alpha thing, you're always the person rolling the dice, and you're always the one that's deciding what you do. Even though I don't know the books, I've bought the first, I've not read it yet. So I'm not invested in the IP. I just find it an awful lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoy it. Quite like there's a mechanism within the game where you are actually getting overrun. You throw dice to get baddies on the board, orcs, elves and trolls. And there's a mechanism that you follow arrows and it kind of just explodes if you get more units in a space than the space can handle. And very quickly, as we found out this morning, it becomes quite unmanageable when these hordes of orcs, trolls and dark elves are running roughshod over the board. A game that you thought you were going to win quite easily could all of a sudden turn on a die. It's quite light, but I really do enjoy it. And yeah. it's dice rolling, so, you know, Sean's it's always Sean's does right, really yeah. well at The game's actually very clever in how those monsters and creatures that do explode onto the board. You never know, you know what direction they're going to go. If two sides should meet together, then it comes a double explosion sort of happens, and, and they swarm over the board just with a few bad dice rolls. The cards, the way they come out of the tasks, even the last ones you have to do, it's a choice. Is this scenario happening? If not, then we'll move on to the, the next final scenario, and it's very specific, very clever, a really enjoyable game, and a, a definite co-op where you do have to talk to each other, but as Chris said, you do have that, that moment when you can be the hero, and that's why I like it. Does does it feel thematic or is it just a puzzle? I think it does feel thematic because of the sort of archaic way in which the creatures come out and the way they explode in different directions. They're, they're only cubes. The only miniatures are the dwarves themselves. But you do feel Including like... Jaunty hips. Jaunty <laughs> hips. You do feel like 
you don't really want those high elves coming out with it because it takes six to kill them and those put them with the purple cubes. Yeah, I feel it is thematic in the fact that you are very specialist in what you can do. Storylines are all there on the cards as well, so I think so. I think it's surprisingly thematic. Because of course, everyone knows trolls and elves and dwarves, so you've got that kind of base theme level, but I don't know the character names. It's not like doing Tolkien. It's not like you know, everyone knows who these people are. You do go, oh, oh, well, we've got this quest. Oh, well, you know, oh, yeah, well, Sean's going to be really good at that one. Well, okay, that wouldn't no, be... No, no, You wouldn't say that because it involves dice. But you think Sean should be good at that one because, you know, because we know he's a warrior in the group. And you do start having these little silly conversations about, oh, yeah, well, look at him and his big bulging muscles and all that kind of thing. And you know, steel finger over there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Ooh, la. My, 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 my... Steel finger. Yeah. You're joining us from a recent trip to Italy. Yeah. Played Burano. That was an education. So, as a disclaimer, they allowed me to do the rules again, which is never a good idea. And then when I finished doing the rules, Puria took over, which is... Oh. So, <laughs> they were probably start from start. I was going to say, haven't you got some kind of alarm for that in the podcast yet? You really need to find one. People had warned me, and I was like, no, we did Grand Austria Hotel brilliantly. It's going to be fine. We're like, no. So what's anyway, the story behind so it is very definitely a Euro. You've got little cubes and you're preparing them on a map and you're building it up. It looks very nice and that selects one of three actions you can take, which is fishing, getting income or setting up a sweatshop in the middle of one of the islands of Venice. Um, <laughs> lace making. Sorry, lace making. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Rachel is right. Of course, it's lace making, not sweatshop. <laughs> but we do really want to pack those workers in there. <laughs> so basically, obviously, you're going to do all of this to get victory points to win. It's very thinky. There are a lot of decisions to make, and you're not going to be able to do everything you want to do, as is always with these Euro games. But actually, even choosing your actions does get quite expensive quite quickly, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> it does. So, and money's really quite scarce in the game, so you're spending quite a lot of time chasing that particular. What resource. are you trying to do? What's, what's the end you're, game? The end game is, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the end game is to get victory points, as is with every single game. But you're kind of building your little structures on the island, but you're doing that so you can fish and sell okay. to merchant ships. Yeah. You're doing that so you can set up your. Sorry, lace working shop. <laughs> Not sweatshops. Not sweatshops. Yeah. And you're doing that so you can get money to fund your next go to build your buildings and do all of this. So I don't feel like there is... <laughs> so how do you earn VPs? By setting up your sweatshop and your lace working shop and bringing workers back from it or setting up unions in there by selling fish to merchant ships. So you are working as HR... In Venice in the 17th century. <laughs> it's beautiful. I mean, Absolutely it is beautiful. Gorgeous. And it's the one thing that really drew me to it in Essen. But Rachel may have better ideas. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really pretty, but it, it took me about half the game to get my head around where you can get money, where you get the points, and how it all seems to go together. Uh, I must admit, I spent half the game struggling to get any kind of money at all. In our defence, though, we did go past 100 points. We did. <laughs> and how many did the winner score? 130, 130 okay. which yeah. is not too bad. Well, right? Quite a few are Euro fans. It sounds like it's quite a dry Euro, quite opaque, mm. which is right up your street. Mm. If someone had known the rules a bit better, if it had gone a bit more smooth and a bit quicker, how do you think it would have been? To be fair, until about halfway through, we were playing... The refresh stage completely wrong. Brilliant. Sounds like a convention game to me. So the person who was already doing very well benefited from that. And those of us who weren't doing so well didn't benefit from the game's automatic 
Um, balancing yeah, the balancing <laughs> mechanism. Aspect, yeah, so. um, the other thing I would say is if you're last, there's no benefit to being last. There's no catch-up mechanism. There's no additional points. And, and actually being last is quite an impact. It is detrimental, okay. isn't it? And are you, is half the game you're building a money engine? Is that the classic Euro? No, because no. it's not really a money engine. You are building, you're, you're kind of, <laughs> oh you YouTube just played it. You look as confused yes. as we do. How <laughs> it? No, it isn't. And the reason the reason is because you really don't want to be having quite a lot of money. What you want is to have about ten gold so you can do your turn. Ah, okay. Every right. action costs you money. Okay, that's all you want. You just want ten well, gold, of it, but gold's quite hard right. to get. I've got another question. Okay. We watched you play it from the depth of our misery. <laughs> and you had pyramids of cubes out, mm-hmm. which was visually stunning. Mm-hmm. What were they? Once you prepare them, so you've got your player mat and you've got your little pyramid of cubes, and that's an interesting selection process in itself, right? <laughs> that's an action which costs money, and then you put them on the board, and that's an action which costs money. And then you're supposed to be setting them up, and then you put roofs on them, which gives you uniformly gives you victory. So they points. are actually building blocks? Yeah. Yes. But the colours, they are houses, and the colours match different actions, which switch around every season. Um, The colours change function every season. (laughs) Which is really confusing. (laughs) (laughs) And the colour of the cubes, you have uh, roof tiles that you have to match to the colour of the cubes. So part of you needs to put this down, but you also need to try and get that action in, and it constantly you're trying to. I, 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 I am intrigued. I am intrigued. <laughs> I would like to. I want to play the sweatshop game. <laughs> I, I'm very intrigued. If only, if only they called it the sweatshop game. <laughs> because I remember when people were playing at Essen last year, it was one of the ones I sort of looked at, and there was just something about it that I sort of thought. Doesn't Burano, Burano, Bumazzo. Well, that was funny, wasn't it? Because a year before, Burano yeah. had come out, and more Murano, Burano, you know, the, the two like big famous touristy islands just off of Venice. Some friends of mine played a demo of it, and they come, and I was like, oh, that was one I was quite interested in. What did you think? And they were like, well, the most amazing thing about it is they managed to find somewhere else in Europe to name a game. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would like to play it again. Yeah. Maybe a couple of times, just to see. Because I, I came away thinking I liked it, but I wish I'd known the I rules. Mean, for me, I think there's probably one more moving part than there needs to be. Mm-hmm. I'd like to play it again. Absolutely, I echo Rachel in that. Play it another couple of times. Now we know the rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, we do rules. know the rules. <laughs> <laughs> the muddle cool. them. So, I never uh, went to the sweatshop more than twice. <laughs> An opaquely interesting euro. <laughs> I give, you know what? I'd give it a whirl and it is, I mean, it's beautiful. Get up I'm going to take us back over to uh, the American style games here. And myself, Rachel and Paul, late on one of the nights and it's blown away, went killing locusts as the gears of war. This is from Fancy Flight Games from, I think, around five or six years ago, based on the computer franchise. It's a co-op game. You each take place of a cog figure. You're going to spread out, exploring a map, fighting, and the different scenarios. And we just played the basic one. Which should be the quickest one. <laughs> uh, and in this case, you've got to get through, defeat figures on the board, blow up an emergence hole to seal it, and then more figures appear, kill them, and you're done. Nice and quick. And it's got an interesting mechanism of the cards in your hand are both your actions and your health. So as you get damage, you're going to lose actions. You can play cards to help out each other's turn. Very tight in terms of ammunition. I really like the game. I got hold of it this year, and I, I wanted it for a, a long time. This game was 
definitely the longest game I've played <laughs> of it. I wonder whether it held the interest. Paul's played it before, Rachel hasn't, so we'll go first impressions. Rachel, what do you think of Gears of War? I thought it had potential. I thought it was a bit too slow, but that just might have been the way we were playing it, to think we were being ultra safe. I kind of felt that I didn't always have a lot of things to do. I would give my go away to somebody else so they could do something, which meant I would just stand there. And I think I spent the first half of the game just sitting in one room. There's four tiles, and we spent... <laughs> Literally half like an hour and a half in three rooms <laughs> on the smallest tile. <laughs> just bouncing backwards and forwards, dying, crawling back to the cellar. Couldn't just get around one corner. It was both funny and painful. Yes. I didn't like that you had to cycle through deck so quickly with the... You kind of broke it a little bit there. Yeah, so we, we killed all the enemies... And then because we, we were so slow, we were so slow <laughs> they, they all eventually us. wandered into our repeated fire. It was no skill in it. <laughs> and they all died. And then we there's an AI deck that sets up depending on what enemies in there. And you pull one out, and that tells you what they're going to do. So it's various AI. And because we kept killing all the enemies, that we won on the map, and we very slowly crawled towards it. We were cycling through the whole deck. So it was like none of them on the board. Draw the next one. None of them on the board. Draw the next one. None of them on the board. Draw the next one. Right, spawn two. And then we have two enemies to try and work our way towards. <laughs> and I don't know why we were so slow. What were you playing before? What did you think? I played the video game, and this really matches the video game very well. The design of it, the theme, even that action of you have to work together, you're moving from cover to cover, and if you go down, your, your teammates have to help you out. What happened to us in this particular game is we didn't have the best of starts, and it was a four-player game. There was a guy called Jacob who played with us, but... The map that we got, and it's a randomised map, created what's known as the Corridor of Death. And I've seen it a couple of times where we struggle to shoot things at distance. Locusts can shoot infinite range as long as they can see you. And with the Corridor of Death, if you poke your head out at one end, the locust at the other end can see you. Now, you can't just rush down the Corridor of Death could have done. We could have tried. <laughs> Which meant it was a struggle. And I've seen that before. And you get a much longer game. If you have a layout which is essentially like a toilet U-bend, you get a much easier <laughs> game. But it's a very clever game. We did play cautiously. I think the problem was we as did well, play very we cautiously. We played so cautiously that yeah. we ran out of ammo, which meant that we couldn't actually it's go like charging anywhere. Yeah. yeah, and it took a couple of turns to get our cards back, and then we would creep forward one space. It showed a bit, a little bit of fragility I hadn't seen before in the game. We did have almost extreme case that that thing we ran out of ammo. There was no one to kill, so we weren't getting drops of weapons. We couldn't get any more ammo. There's an AI card that cleared all the cards that you have yeah. to try out away, and yeah. we kind of got into a grind. Chris, have you played Gears War? I haven't played it, no, but. I stood by the table for three or four minutes while while you guys were playing it. And what really struck me was you look at this thing and you've got these creatures and these character sheets and these weapons and you look at all that stuff and then you listen to the conversation that's going on. It was just nonsense. It's like, well, I could like edge forward like two centimetres and then maybe let you do my action and then maybe you can maybe do that in like three hours time and then if we're lucky we can do something you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm looking forward to the film of this. It's going to be brilliant. It's going to be a 17-hour box set of bullshit. I mean, I've watched so many games over the weekend and you sort of stand and you look and you look at the faces around the table and people are laughing and having a giggle and playing a game 
we're talking abstract German Euros here. <laughs> okay. And then you walked over to this table. Oh, it's the big Ameritrash game. They'll be having fun. I didn't see a dice roll, a card drawn. I just saw people staring at a tiny little area of hex corridor going, what <laughs> When they trained us four soldiers, we were like the most cautious yeah. four soldiers. We out with cadets that had been released early because like, we were like, oh, I don't know what she's giving me a gun. <laughs> Moving on to something which was equally as sensible. People have been playing with zombie towers. <laughs> 3D zombie towers! Sean. Again, Chris introduced me to another cooperative game that he spawned, and this one was indeed the Zombie Tower 3D, and it is actually a 3D board of a tower that is infested with zombies. You'd never guess that from the title. (laughs) (laughs) Title's ambiguous that way. the, The unique factor of this one is that you can only see your section of the tower and there are little holes at certain intervals on the three floors of the tower that you can poke cards through to your comrade in the in the separate part of the tower. So it's very much a cooperative. You're, you're constantly talking, where am I, what am I doing, what do I need, what do you need? And then you actually have a physical element where you can actually help each other by poking things through the walls. And so, so if Rachel, for instance, needed a magazine for her handgun and I happen to have it, then we can talk to each other and say, right, okay, I'm going to go to section nine, which is your section eight, and I'm going to poke this through the wall, and that'll be cool for you. Have you got anything you can give back to me? And Chris, what have you got? So it's a very interesting game. Really had to work on the cooperative side of it. You had to constantly be talking with each other. You know, not the most, the most wonderful game you'll ever play, but I think definitely an interesting game, more than just the gimmick that it appears to be. I was offered this as a game to review, and when I saw the pictures of the box, I thought, this is either going to be absolutely awful, or it might be that kind of like, you know, that sort of like that gem in the rough. And when it turned up, I looked at the box and thought, oh no, it's definitely going to be rubbish. <laughs> First time I played it, I was blown away, and I thought, okay, I've been blown away because it's a good game, but I thought it was going to be dreadful. I'm still playing it now, quite a long time later. I keep introducing it to new groups. In each group, I'd say 78% of the people that play enjoy it. I think the fact you've got your own section essentially means you've got your own puzzle and you've got to solve that puzzle because if anyone out of your group dies, the game's over. So there's a pressure on you. There's 12 rooms in your section of the tower, but all of you are going to have to escape from the same room to win the game. And you've only got 12 turns. And the zombies are going to come out in random places, but they're going to come out in random places for each different player. And that's a real key to it. So once you got about halfway through the game, you would have started to collect some items and you need certain items to escape from certain rooms. So suddenly you're starting to have this conversation around the table of, okay, how are people looking for room 10? And how are people looking for room 2? So some people are going, there is no way I'm getting out of room 10. And other people are like, yeah, well, I can't get out of room 2. But you've all got to be in the same place. So then that's when the real conversation is about, okay, what can we give you? How can we help? There's no alpha player issue in this game. All the co-ops I've played, this is the one with the least. Well, there can't be. There can't be because you genuinely can't can't see what people are doing. So you have to say, okay, how are you doing? What's your situation? For me, that's a proper co-op game. I also like that there was different things on different levels, as in it wasn't the same items that could be picked up whenever you did a search. You had different items on level three, two and one. And you had warnings on the back of the card to say that if it was going to be something dangerous, like a fire where you could draw zombies in or a cave-in. 
And I felt that was really interesting because it also meant that you had to talk a lot to find out who could afford to take that card or who would find that card potentially useful. Yeah. Potentially what was coming with you, if it was, as you said, a cave-in or a fire or, or a zombie, you'd whittled off and you knew what was left in the pack so we could all have that conversation yeah. about what it might be and the worst case scenario, who could take it. Yeah. So. Well, for example, I had two cave-ins on two levels because I could take those and wall off the zombies. But I couldn't take another cave-in, I couldn't risk another cave-in on the second level because I had to be able to get to the other side of the building. Yeah, so as the, as the game goes on, your your particular area gets worse and worse and worse because more zombies arrive, fires start, cave-ins happen. Survivors get eaten. There are all these fun little things. It's very simple as well. I mean, it doesn't take very long to teach, but it's very, very clever. Yeah, initially you think this is a complete gimmick to have a yeah. three-dimensional apartment block in the middle of the table, but it's absolutely critical because you need for the people, the, the co-op team, to physically be separated from each other and not be able to see what everyone else is seeing. Yes, you could peek around the corner and look at it, but essentially you're sat around the table and you can only see your part of the apartment block. That, that part of it, actually something that Natalie mentioned about Time Stories earlier, where she said it was a true co-op because you pick up your own card. It's one of the things that I kind of drilled into them when I was teaching them. No, don't show your card. Don't even want to see it. You have your own information, you have to talk to them, and that's what makes it a true card there. It's how mm, like you see yeah. this is by... Yes. I can't see my stuff. You can't yes. get what I tell you. I think the difference with time stories, though, and it's actually something I didn't, because I'm a control freak, um, <laughs> is because I didn't particularly appreciate about zombie diaries. With time stories, yes, you pick up the card and you keep it to yourself. But if you agree to spend a time, then you can go and have a look at that time card. So actually, you can still get that information for yourself. I found it quite limiting just to be looking at my own section like because I couldn't really visualize what was going on over there so you know as far as I knew everyone had like 15 caves in and three fires so when we were actually doing the rundown of what we had left sitting in the decks of dangers when at one point one of us needed a cave in or a fire go around the table and we'd only just say oh well I've got one cave in one fire in my head the rest of the building was inferno I mean it was impossible <laughs> I think that's a real just... that's a real key though and I think what the beauty of that is trust and not in a bullshit Dead of Winter style game, right? Because for me, that's like, oh yeah, we're trying to break the trust with some like slightly cruddy mechanic that doesn't really work, apart from one game <laughs> in ten or something. <laughs> one game in ten, it might actually make some sort of impact. In this game, you need, you have to trust. If someone says, there's no way I can get out of room ten, you have to trust that they can't, or you have a conversation where you haven't got all the information. And there's that brilliant tension. You're like, okay, well, you say you can't, maybe you haven't thought of this. And you can't just look at their situation and go, oh, of course you can. You've just been stupid. You just didn't see that. That's a really unique thing in a game, I think. The thing you mentioned, Chris, earlier was the puzzle aspect of it. And I didn't appreciate that until right at the end when we were trying to get out and we were trying to get out from a certain room. And I worked out a brilliant solution to my puzzle. (laughs) Did you say to yourself? (laughs) <laughs> I, was, I was taking all my zombies to one side, luring them into a fire, making sure that they weren't going to hamper me. I had a barrier ready to stop them getting at me when I finally made that break to the room, and then I won <laughs> 24 charges <laughs> of a survivor turning up in the worst place for me. It happened, and it, it actually really is a the game for us. And, and to be honest, we had it all working on one card. I had to get dynamite. 
and have run all the way across the building, yeah. all the way down to, from the top floor to the bottom floor to pass a card through to you. But for me to be able to do that and clear my own uh, space, I needed pull? dynamite. It was the search. So it was like, I did not pull dynamite. So it's just I pulled a shovel. shovel. Yeah. <laughs> so we can stick that shovel. Yeah. Right. Fact, but, I mean, this is a great game for playing with someone who has been accused of being alpha in co-op games. Why would you look at me? So, <laughs> <laughs> I think I would like someone like you to play it. Like and me. <laughs> but I, don't know, I know you try not to, but, but people do look to you when we, I like when to we play co-ops. charisma rather than alpha. <laughs> I think it's called bossiness, actually. <laughs> Quick summary around the table. Sean, one word to describe zombie tower 3D. I'm going to say one word. It's more than a gimmick. It's clever. It's a great game. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm one of the twenty percent that didn't love it. Okay, fantastically fun. Fantastically fun. Cool. Moving on to something else that may or may not be fantastically fun. Sean and I have already chatted about it. We played it with Rachel and Natalie. Get their thoughts. Oh, I would like to talk about Quadropolis, or as I call it, Sudokoopolis. Sudokoopolis. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this is a very clever game. Someone sat there and thought up a lot of very clever mechanics and a lot of clever interaction, and then they built it in a style that everything you do initially has an impact on the next step, and that has an impact on the next step. So you've got to work out all of these multitudes of possibilities, and then someone takes the tile that you've just planned for, and you have to scrap all of that and do it all again. And it's like doing four Sudoku puzzles simultaneously, and the number that you pick on that first Sudoku puzzle influences the number that you can pick on the second one, and that influences the number, and it's just an absolute nightmare. Oh, I like that. I like that, because it means that you can't plan so far ahead. It's great. Fly by the seat of your pants. Yeah, you can have a vague kind of, well, I kind of like to do this, but as long as I've got a little bit of backup, we're good to go. Because then, you know, someone is going to take the tile you want. We play Quadropolis, and I think each one of these sods took one tile at least once from me that I really wanted, and that's obviously why I lost the game. But I, I like that, because it means you're not sitting there for 25 minutes with Paddy, oh, well, I'll take that and I'll take that, with, with no interaction from anybody else. I think it's a good puzzle, because you're constantly having to re-evaluate how you're going to do it. You can try and plan for it, so if you know you desperately need a certain tile, you make sure you take the guy that gives you the starting player next turn and make sure you get that tile to start with. I found it good fun. I didn't find it heavy. I found it quite mm. medium, I would say. I'm feeling that Paul's caring and thinking too much about this game. <laughs> and doing that thing he does where he looks at a board and works out every single possibility. You, you could play this and not do all of that thinking stuff and just go for your gut instinct, pick stuff up, play it, and have a crap score. If you want to get a good score, you've got to play efficiently. And if you're going to play efficiently, you've got to work well, stuff that's, out. that's obviously not efficiently, though, because that's not how the game is designed, is it? <laughs> I mean, it's designed so that you sit there and have a look at your board, and you're like, well, I really want that one. But you know what? If that gets taken, I've got another two options that I think I can go for. You know, the game is designed but in that way. But then those two options will efficient. influence the next one you take, which will influence the next yeah, one you, you take. One of the interesting things is you take three good ones, knowing you're going to have one poor one right at the end, or not, maybe not even get a tile, but working out that the three good ones is better than going for mediocre options? Or do I get the one that's absolutely the best, but low risk now? Or do I take the high risk Well, it's not always, it's not even just about taking the best, because to give an example, you're sat there and going, if I take this tile, I have to use one of my four grabbing counters that are numbered one to four, which means it has to be placed in a specific place on my city. But it also needs to be placed next to things that could potentially give it bonuses. But if I use that up, I have no access to the other ones later on. 
but this gives me power. I need power for this thing, but then that needs people. But if I need people, I need to get this thing. And now I've got too much power, and I need to get rid of it. So now I need to rewind all of those steps and go, like don't use this one. Sounds like you're going to score everything. You've got a massive plot. People go to shops, then you've got a big line of, you can't do everything in the game. It's a prioritisation puzzle. I'm not defending it massively. I thought it was it was fun. It was a gateway game. It was competent. I will play it again. I'm not going to buy it. I said that already. I thought it was slightly deeper than the gateway game. I, I slightly misread it because it looks sort of bubbly and all these cartoony, cutesy graphics. And I thought it, I think there was a little bit more meat on its bones than that. I do agree with Natalie. I think you, you're constantly readjusting. Constantly. I don't think there is any planning in this. You can have a rough, like, I, I would like to go for factories or I would like to go for this. Kind of in the middle because I really enjoy it that much. I wouldn't be fussed if I didn't ever play it again, but I wouldn't turn it down either. So a Decent game. That's a decent, pretty I good. Even, yeah. Yeah, just about. Oh, no, because well, no, if you've worked all, you're working stuff out. You've got to work stuff out. No, you don't. And then the, the <laughs> and then the, the player before you does something, and it changes all your plans. And now it does, it's your turn, but you've scrapped all your plans, and you've got to work all your. That's every that's every other happen. Euro though. I mean, it is. If you play like if you're playing Aquasphere, you know you can't do everything Aquasphere. You know, and people can knack you with that. It, it's the point of these types of games. We'd all love to sit there and plan every single spot when well, I go here and this and get this and this and this. It's just not going to happen. You play it and you try and build in flexibility. The fact that you're like me to Sudoku makes you think you should be able to do that. Oh, uh, maybe, yeah. Yes. Oh. That's what I think. I think you've looked at it and think that looks exactly like a, a planning game. Yeah. I'm going to be able to do absolutely everything. I do feel and it should be a planning yeah. game because you're building a city, so you're planning. There's a definite answer in every, in every place. Yeah. This doesn't. This is a constantly changing. This is There's no right answer. But so you're saying I should fly by the seat of my pants. I think you should give it a whirl. Come over to the wild side. Exactly. It's <laughs> so, my question, hearing sort of some of the debate on this one, is. Is it really like a Days of Wonder game? They've been making the same style of family game for a long time now. Do any of you think there's a step here? Because it clearly sounds as if there's a bit of a... No, there's there's one, one side of people that think, well, yeah, you, you've got Paul sort of saying, well, there is this kind of idea of there being this like higher level Euro there. And we've seen with a couple of the recent Ticket to Ride maps that there's been a definite nudge towards heavier Euro mechanics in the expansion maps. It's a bit more dicky, I'd say, than some of the releases. It's quite all friendly with Days of Wonder it's like you know, even when it's dicky then small world it's not really because I don't know no I don't, I don't I don't I think we're misjudging that because of the artwork Ticket to Ride is very dicky yeah so small world is very dicky <laughs> what they do is they, they, they present you well, you small world I've always got points by dicking someone over no sure I'm totally reassured on this one small world is a game where you have to dick people but you're choosing who you do it to Yes. But it's still a game where that's what you do. I have seen fights over small worlds. That's <laughs> all I can say to that. I think Days of Wonder have got almost a false image. It is what they usually make. A game that appears to be very light and fluffy. It is not just light and fluffy, but it is certainly not into full medium weight territory. There is something more there than at first it appears. I think we've all started playing it. You lay your first tile, you lay your second tile, you think this is easy, I'm going to do whatever I want here. And then suddenly you get to the, oh, I've got no fours left, I've got plenty of fours. And that definitely happens in the game. And I'm saying that sounds to me like a step up for Days of Wonder. And is, do you think that's a thing or not? I think it's a bit hard to judge from where we are in the hobby because uh, maybe. we play such heavier games. True. Uh, Sometimes I judge this by playing with my kids. 
and seeing how easy they grok it and it goes over and they go play and then I kind of go, oh, maybe this is heavier than I thought. Because sometimes I misjudge what they will enjoy. And it's one of those things, you know, it's really hard to find the right gateway games for people. When we go and play games with friends, it's really hard to judge what gamey games to bring because you can't almost tell what's got too much game to it and what's going to go over and what isn't. Okay, we're going to move on to the final game we're going to cover in this episode. I haven't played it, but some people here have. It's Grand Austria Hotel. The floor is yours. Grand Austria Hotel is a lovely Euro game. I do like my Euro games. <laughs> and I really like this game, and please don't think that I didn't. But the theme is, I think, so thinly pasted on, you can see through it. I mean, you are just moving those cubes around like a good Euro player, and it's, it's a thing of beauty no, I think, to behold. I'm sorry, I think what you meant to say there was you were moving your strudels around <laughs> yes, like a good yes. Euro player. Well, I mean, Puria taught me the game, don't grow. It's one who knew well. He could teach it. It was fine. in the last three days. (laughs) But he was like, yeah, there are these cubes. They're, I think, (laughs) let's just call them. And so we didn't even call them by the day. They were, I don't know, red, brown, white, and I can't even remember. Black. That was it, yeah. yeah. So you can see it's terribly memorable, this thing. wine. You know what? Strudel it's got, and cake. Strudel and cake, yeah. It's got a special place in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you own a hotel, you're serving customers in your restaurant, and they want coffee, wine, strudel, cake. And if you serve them, they'll give you certain bonuses. And if you fulfill their order, you can then go and book them in a hotel room because they like your place so much. There's, <laughs> I'm really reaching. There's end of game scorings for how many hotel rooms you've scored. You've got staff to help you. They give you ongoing bonuses, end of game bonuses and one-off bonuses. The emperor comes and visits your hotel and he likes your hotel so he gives you some points, but then he takes some points away because he's, you know, capricious that way. I, you know, I think it's, it's actually prestige rather than emperor. Is it prestige? Yeah. Victoria called it emperor, Pre- but it's actually prestige. Is there any interaction in this game? Or is it pure Euro in the sense that you could oh, just no, be doing beautiful. your own it's thing? it's beautiful. There's no interaction whatsoever. It's stunning. <laughs> No, apart from taking the customers. The dice. Oh, the dice. Yeah, I forgot, of course. The main mechanism is, of course, you roll the dice and the dice allows you to do actions. Don't ever play this game. You never told me this. (laughs) (laughs) Don't play this game. The start player rolls the dice and then you... Column them, and you've got six actions, and you can do how many times. And yeah, the number of actions you take can depend on, you know, which for a stack of dice you say that. Nice, it's more. It's how you, you always get the same amount of actions, but it's how good your action is. Yeah. It depends on how many dice there are in a certain yeah. action. And if you've got no dice in that particular action, then you can't do it. I feel like I could have walked in to this conversation about four minutes ago and then you could have been describing one of 5,000 games. Once the Strudel Cake song went, it was, you got dice and then you take actions and you yeah, score points but... and prestige and the. I mean, well, what is it? That. What sells it? Sell no. me Grand Austria Hotel. It's so pretty. It's pretty. Oh, okay, that's what you said to me. Okay. <laughs> <I'm> I... <sold>. <laughs> I like the spatial aspect of filling the rooms. That's quite nice because you get points depending on how you fill your rooms up. You've got to be thinking about opening those rooms and having them available to be filled. I do like the dice aspects. So is, it, is there a puzzly a sense yeah, to the rooms? Yeah, there's a little bit of puzzle sense, sense. Okay. to make prestige. sure you're hitting your bonuses. If you didn't hit the right amount of prestige at different times, then you lost... Penalties, penalties. So you lose mm. points and, and things and like that. I like that. It's, yeah. it's keeping so many things in mind at once. You're trying to hit everything mm. to just the right amount. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you say that, mind. Ronan, but I mean, I think that's that's like every Euro game, but that's why we like them. If you don't mind me batting in at this point. Could we stop you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say once again, no. no. <laughs> I love Euro games. They're, they are my stocking trade. 
but I'm always looking for the twist. I played it once and thought, you know what, I quite enjoyed that. And I played for my second time at Eastbourne. There's nothing at all in this game that hasn't been done before. And not even a twist on something that hasn't been done before. You need to bring something to the party. I don't care. I don't care what it is. Strudel is not enough. <laughs> Calling a brown cube strudel is that isn't twist? enough to bring it to the party. Is that is that strudel joke? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad someone got that. I, don't know. I find. I think this is probably just a differing opinion because I found it comforting. Yeah. Right. Sometimes you're just going to play a Euro game and it's a midweight Euro game. You're going to do a little bit of thinking. There's, you know, you're not, again, not going to be able to do everything you want to do. But there's a certain level of satisfaction there. And maybe it's the differing levels in our experience. I haven't sort of played a tremendous amount of games and I don't get to play that often. I don't care that there's not a twist. How long does the game I last? Like Too long. It's a two to four player game. I, and I agree. A... I think it should be three players. You shouldn't play it with four. Two. Why, why not two? Because well, two or three, there's but... no interaction in the game, as you've already alluded to. There's and <laughs> I'm all right, yeah. well, apart I am too. From, apart from seeing each other's dice, yeah. <laughs> but but you're not though, really, are yeah. you? Because you're not doing it. You can manipulate that, but you're not doing it to spite the other person. Because all you care about is what you're doing. I'm sure, Better. I saw Corey doing that because I'm course not that on. Of I'm not that switched on, but you... definitely I and everyone else is bored yeah. up. <laughs> We were talking about Zombie Tower 3D earlier on. You've got your own puzzle. In Zombie Tower, it's Hold hidden. On. No one can see it. a 3D hotel where you're all playing your own corner. <laughs> oh, with, with zombie yeah. strudels. <laughs> yeah, now you're talking. Are we there? Swimming brain to zombies. It's, it's very much. It's a great puzzle. It's a really clever puzzle game. So you start to play it and you go, oh, yeah, I want people in certain rooms and I'll do that and I'll get certain points and they'll move along tracks. But the difficulty is every extra player has loads of extra time you're only getting two actions around, and it's got the whole kind of thing where if I go first, I also go last in right. a round. Because it's solitaire, you don't care what anyone else right. does. Is there variety between plays? There are two sides to the board. I don't think it's going to change that tremendous amount between games, yeah. but there are different ways to win. Okay. And I would like to explore that. Cool. Rachel? It's not going to change tremendously game to game. There's things that you can do differently. There's stuff that you can hire that will help you in different ways. And again, I, I like, it's a classic Euro, it's quite pretty, it's got things to do, lots of different things. You're not necessarily dicking each other over, and that's all quite pleasant. All right. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, all right but the funny thing is, is I don't want to come across as someone who doesn't like that kind of game, because I really do. I love solitaire games, I love interesting Euros. I'm happy to play for two or three hours. The theme, again, doesn't bother me. I mean, I quite like the theme, and I, we were having fun with the whole strudel and cake and wine and coffee and, and putting people in rooms. Shall I sing the song again? <laughs> please, please do. You talk about interaction or differences in going forward in plays. For people that are going to play it quite a lot, what's going to happen is they're just going to get annoyed with it because there's two sides to the board. You can either choose that everyone's got the same board, so like something like Castles of Burgundy, you either go all the same or all different. So, for example, in the game we played last time, there were three cards that get flipped over, and that's how you're going to score. One of them said, oh, if you get three blue rooms and four red rooms, then you score loads of points. And the next one said, if you fill in the first two levels of your hotel, which are the easy ones to fill, you get loads of points. We all looked at our boards. One of the four players had three blue rooms and four red rooms on their first two floors. <laughs> and nobody else did. Wow. So it's like, oh, OK. So they've basically been handed 10 points, rolling over knowing laughter. And I think that kind of tells you what you need to know about Grand Austria Hotel. <laughs> yeah, play on the other side of the board. <laughs> so, but two hits and a miss, and that's what I've been hearing about Grand Hotel since it's come out. It's been a split 
almost 50 50 of people I know that have played it. Some people like it, some people don't. And I can't even tell you what type of gamer likes it and what doesn't. Yeah, you always try to follow friends and people you know, or they like that sort of game, like that sort of game. And I can't follow it, it's all over the shop. I, I guess it's a suck it and see. Thank you everyone here for joining us this time. Thank you to everyone who joined us throughout this whole long episode. There's been plenty of people in and out. Probably been quite confusing to listen to who's who and what's what, but hopefully you've got a bit of a flavour of LobsterCon 11 and shared in some of our enjoyment. Okay, hope it wasn't too confusing, but there you have it. There's everybody's thoughts and opinions, a few arguments, a few spats, but generally all very well rated. Down to the bar to celebrate. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Ronan. Thank you, everyone who joined in with us. If you do want to come to any LobsterCons to play games with Sean and I, we will be surely at them. Head to meetup.com slash London on board and you'll see details. They run twice a year, one in the autumn after Essen and one around this time of year, April, May-ish. We would love to have you down here and come and play some games and enjoy. Sean, see us out in beautiful style. Well, I haven't got that far around it, but I'll give it a go. As always, we're very proud members of the Dice Tower Network along with a whole host of other fantastic gaming podcasts. We're also proud members of 2d6.org. Go there for gaming goodness and written audio and visual formats. If you want to email The Game Pit, we are on thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. We have a board game geek guild, and we'd love to hear from everybody in our guild. We're on Facebook. We are on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. If you want to download our episodes, we are on Podbean, Stitcher, and iTunes. Boy! Right, people stop circling. <laughs> 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 Sorry. It's alright. Uh, her head is thinking, move towards Rona, her body's going, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs>